Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 2137. Here's your forecast for Friday, January 19th, and Saturday, January 20th. There is an alert this weekend. For, it's a wind chill warning in effect through Saturday. The discussion section states. The Arctic air mass moving in on Friday night will result in lingering cold air through the end of the, this weekend. Thus, the freezing temperatures and high winds will continue producing cold and raw conditions outside this forecast period. The cold temperatures and strong winds will make the air feel much colder on exposed skin, which could allow exposure risk to start developing in as little as five minutes if inadequately covered or, pre- or not prepared. So Friday... In and out of the clouds early, trending towards mostly in the clear onto partly cloudy skies midday, and then in and out of the clouds again late, with a temp rising to the lower single digits late. Winds will be west at 30 to 45 miles per hour, shifting northwest and decreasing to 15 to 30 miles per hour, and the wind chill rising to 20 below to 30 below. That's no joke. Friday night, in and out of the clouds early, trending towards mostly in the clear with a slight chance of snow showers late, little to no snow accumulations expected, with a low falling to around 5 below. Winds will be northwest at 20 to 35 miles per hour, increasing to 30 to 45 miles per hour with gusts up to 55 miles per hour. Again, the wind chill of note here, falling to 35 below to 45 below. Saturday, in and out of the clouds under partly cloudy skies. High temp rising to the lower single digits. Winds north at 25 to 40 miles per hour with gusts up to 50 miles per hour. And again, the wind chill will be 25 below to 35 below. From the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
Right Stop. So we're episode 136. Are you ready? You focused? Yeah, man. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I'm not going to lie. There's a little melancholy hovering in the air, but I'm relying on dad jokes and these two guests to boost the spirits. Yeah, yeah. I already got a read on Dave. He's going to be like um, shot out of a cannon, I can tell. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> when you're a priest for 25 years, you know, it's, when you come back into the mainstream, it's, you know. Wait, you're, you've been a priest? You were a priest for 20? We'll get to that later. Don't worry about it, Mike. It's just, you know. <laughs> oh, well, you, have, you have me, like, I'm curious now. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. All right. And now it became less interesting. Right. I got I to gotta add that to my list of uh, things on the, the script here. So, Stomp, just before we get going, I just, um, I've got a scheduling issue next week so that we've got to figure out. Mrs. Mike. Mike, without my permission, scheduled her book club on Thursday night with her crew next week. So, um, I've got to make the decision on whether I just record with all the ladies upstairs in the book club or if we just. Well, if next week is uh, Sherpa Ant, then we're good to go because they wanted to record earlier in the week. I think we should be all set. I think it was supposed to be Wednesday. Yeah, so you're off the hook. Okay, then I can make the charcuterie. I can make the charcuterie board for the. For there you the go. Book yeah. Club. There you go. Yeah, you should be good. <laughs> all right. Problem solved. All right. Very good. Um, all right. So the behind the scenes isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Sorry you know, to like, disappoint you. So. <laughs> no, no, actually, more real world. Yes. I, mean, I want to figure out how to get in this book yeah, club. Well, I'll, uh, it's it's tough. I've tried. They won't let me in. So. Um, but anyway, welcome to episode 136 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week we have a listener spotlight with our friends Liz and Dave. Dave of uh-huh. Dave Shits in the Woods fame. So we've brought you up a couple times here. So they're going to join us to talk about their hiking and outdoor adventure pursuits. Uh, they're both well-experienced hikers in the New England area, so we'll talk to them about their backgrounds. We'll expose the secret Illuminati 500 high, highest hiking yes, group yes. that they're involved in to the audience, and we'll learn about um, their gear preferences, favorite hikes, and plenty of other topics. Apparently, Dave used to be a <laughs> priest, so we'll see what that's all about. Um, all this plus the Garden of Eden has been discovered in the Catskills. Uh, hot tub parties are going to be harder to come by soon in the White Mountains. Snow shoveling road rage incidents. Uh, another story of a vagrant homeless guy who turns out to be rich. A refresher on the rules of the 4,000 footer uh, club. Gear reviews, pop culture, hikes on Owl's Head, hiking and sledding on Mount Cannon or Cannon Mountain. And recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Are we going to be able to go to bed tonight with all that stuff? So? I don't know. It could be a couple hours, but uh, a lot of, hey. A lot of topics. So we get plenty of data. Yes. Yeah. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. 
We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. As a rule of thumb, stay away from cotton on trail. Synthetics and wool or wool blends will prevent moisture from building up, creating a safer body temperature and temperature regulation. Wear layers to achieve the warmth that you need. So I want to just start to show off, um, we're recording this on Thursday, um, there was just a press relief release um, sent out by New Hampshire Fishing Game uh, a couple of hours ago that announced that uh, there was a hiker fatality in the PEMI region, so I think it was by Mount um, Guillot, and it was a, a local hiker that's well known in the area um, that unfortunately had an incident, you know, there's not a lot of details on exactly what happened, but um, it was a fatality. So um, the, the search and rescue teams were out there uh, diligently trying to do whatever they could to, to locate this hiker. And unfortunately, he succumbed to, um, you know, the elements out there. The so um, it's it's a sad time right now. So we, we want, we're not going to do a deep dive on this one. We just wanted to recognize it and just um, send condolences to the family and our thoughts and well wishes to all the members of the search and rescue teams that were out there helping and um, fishing game and anybody else that was involved in this. Correct. Yeah, there'll be no search and rescue section tonight. A little nod of uh, condolences to everybody out there. And uh, if you heard that that uh, forecast opening the show it's going to be another nasty weekend so just be prepared and be safe out there yeah we got another cold cold clip coming in i'm not i'm not doing any hiking this weekend are you doing any hiking stop this weekend i have to well i made a note later in the show but uh the trails are open for sledding so i'm going to be guiding finally which is fantastic but uh saturday morning is supposed to be in the single digits <laughs> it's like feast or famine the trails are open but now it's a whole other uh challenge but uh i think i will hit something tomorrow afternoon like something small maybe wombeck or something quick that's the only time i have available to me this weekend how about you you gonna go out no, no, I nah. got um, family stuff I got to deal with, so I'll be yeah. taking the weekend off and then getting back out there the following weekend. Yeah, it's probably smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so we wanted to just give a thanks again to Toby and Megan from the Mount Washington Auto Road for joining us last week. We got a lot of good feedback. Um, people had had said that they enjoyed their segment and that um, they're going to commit to getting out there and. and trying out some of the activities that are available at the auto road stomp i did see a guy in um, the bj's parking lot i usually go once a week he had one of those i climb mount washington um, bumper stickers on his car i almost told him to check out the podcast but uh, i i decided not to i thought it'd be a little weird (laughs) that's funny that's funny Cool. Very cool. So I, I what the what is it? I hiked it or I drove it or what kind of bumper sticker? Yeah, I, this car drove up Mount Washington. Oh, the car did, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. That was a good uh good episode. It's really yes. enjoyable. It's yeah. like I feel like we're covering every 
conceivable aspect of that summit. <laughs> We've done the uh, the observatory, the cog. Well, the cog's coming up, and uh, that's a surprise. That's and what Stomp. else? What's left? It was supposed to be a secret. Was that a secret? I don't know. Anymore. I don't know. Anyway, we're we're covering all bases when it comes to Ajikachuk. Okay. All right. Um, so Liz, I got a question for you. Have you ever and we're gonna we're gonna do a deep dive here, but have you ever had to like do anything heroic on the trail? Like have you run across anyone that's in trouble and you had to like save them or give them like a band aid even? Anything like that? <laughs> No, I um, no, I don't think so. Um, I did have a friend who was hiking one time, and she called me asking me, what do I do? How does she call for help? Um, which at the time I didn't know, but I have a friend that was actually rescued some years ago at Arethusa Falls. Okay. So she knew all about search and rescue, so she was able to give me some tips to give my friend. Okay. But I have not. All right. Well, the reason I bring it up is because um, our friend Al, who often gives us like uh, news articles and things like that to cover on the show, he sent over a, a tip on a um, an award. So if you're a civilian and you happen upon somebody that's in peril and you take extraordinary effort to save them, you can win this award, which is called a uh, Carnegie Hero Award. So uh, it's from Carnegie Foundation. I think they've got like a university and it's, it's basically like this Carnegie Medal. And essentially what the Carnegie Medal is, is, is a prestigious award that is considered one of the highest civilian honors in the U.S. and Canada. So essentially the requirements for this award are um, it was established in 1904. And the life of a human victim must be in imminent danger of being lost without intervention um, this must be believed by the rescuer. The rescuer must be a civilian who knowingly and voluntarily risks death or serious physical injury to an extraordinary degree. The rescuer must have rescued or attempted the rescue of another person. It's going to be undertaken um, by the rescuer and must be received by the perceived by the rescuer. And that perception cannot be diminished by outside facts. So the risk has to be high risk. And it has to occur in the U.S. and Canada, and then it has to be brought to the attention of this commission within like two years. So the reason I bring this up is because every once in a while, like somebody will bail somebody out on trail. And, you know, I suspect that there's more of these incidents that happen where people just stumble across a hiker and help them to get out with like little or no fanfare. So I wanted to just call out that this award is available. So I'll put this in the show notes, and it's called the Carnegie Medal and you can nominate anybody for it. And Al had done some research and had found that there was actually a award given in 1968 related to a rescue on Mount Washington. So it's the only award that he could find that uh, ties into the White Mountains or hiking. But um, it's a pretty prestigious award. So it was it was issued in 1968 to a. Um, a guy named George Smith, I believe his name is. And he rescued like a couple of hikers that were messing around in Huntington Ravine on, I think, March 23rd. And he, essentially what happened here is that there was um, two 18-year-old climbers and they were rescued from a sheer ice ledge um, in a hundred mile an hour wind 
in below zero temperatures. So there was these rescuers there that ended up plucking these two UNH students from the ledge about 500 feet above Huntington Ravine on which they were stranded by an avalanche. So the gentleman in question who got rescued, his name is Jeffrey Damp. He was suffering from frostbitten hands and feet and a leg puncture wound and then also exposure. So they were brought down the mountains to the base camp where a doctor was able to treat them. There was a third 19-year-old climber that reported their situation after he was swept away and he made his way down to the AMC Harvard cabin. And then from there, I guess that's what initiated the rescue. So um, the gentleman that received the award, again, his name was George Smith. I think there was a couple of other rescues that received it as well. But it's a pretty interesting story, Stop, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so um, just keep that in mind. Like I think about like that situation with like Jeff Rogers and that whole crew that saved that, that skier that was in... Um, um, Tuckerman, and you know they they got in action. So it's something something like that. We we you truly are going to save a person's life. Correct. Yep. Wow. So we'll put that in the show notes, and it's good to know that you know these rescues and calamities were going on back in the '60s, just like they are now. So <laughs> timeless. It's timeless. I met a uh, <laughs> I had a newlywed on on trail once, and he had indigestion. And I gave him some tums. And uh, I think you're a candidate. I feel like it's pretty big. Like we're going to put in the nomination for you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, his honeymoon. It's kind of a big deal. I, I thought you were going to say you met a newlywed on trail and you told him to run away. Wow, I, you know, it was written secretly on the tums, like those little you know candies for Halloween. It just said run. Yeah, you shouldn't have said I do. Run away. So, all right. Um, so stop the next article you just pulled here. The world's oldest forest is yeah. What's up um, with that? Three hundred eighty-five million years ago, and was seen by dinosaurs. So this is in. Um, it's called the Cairo site, and it's a short drive from New York City. Our friend Stosh has got to know this area, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, we'll have to get his input. Yeah, check that out, huh? Three, yeah. They estimate 385 million years. They um, have fossilated trees and roots. They say these trees uh, from this original forest uh, were 65 feet tall, if not higher, five feet wide. And uh, they think, you know, with the dating, that uh, for sure there is some dinosaur activity adjacent to the existence of this early forest. Very interesting story. Come, yeah. I mean, yep. here I was. I thought the Garden of Eden was the oldest, like, forest, and now it's just, it's in New York. <laughs> right. Yeah, where would the uh, historic biblical Garden of Eden be? Isn't this somewhere around um, Iran? In the, the Fertile Eden, Crescent. Iraq. It's somewhere Stop. in that region. It's the Fertile Crescent. It's between the Meso- um, Tigris and Euphrates River. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. correct. That's Yeah, that's what they think. Yeah. Yes, you see, you're such a... The holy roller, Mike. Aristocrat. A- Aristocrat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a former priest. Yes. A holy roller. Yeah, this, yeah, is, this is cool. Geez. That's some um, knowledge right there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I guess we'll have to go check out this this competitor of the Garden of Eden. We'll, we'll ask our friend Stosh from the Catskills <laughs> to go check it out and report yeah. back. Yeah, for sure. All right, stop. Next up, you've got, so we got a couple of articles we want to go through here with listeners. So, um, New Hampshire's Bow Winter Workshop, what is that? 
Yes, it's new by me too. So becoming oh, becoming out- okay, got it. Yeah, becoming an outdoors woman winter workshop. This is, uh, let's see, registration opens on Sunday, January fourteenth, and this is sponsored uh, here on the Fishing Game website. So. It's a one-day program where women will learn outdoor skills to enjoy during the winter months. So they focus on uh, outdoor activities during the day-long workshop. Choices include winter hiking, winter outdoor survival, snowshoeing, wildlife tracking, a shoe and shoot, woodland target shooting, etc., etc. Um, the fee is 85 bucks, and registration opens on the 14th, and I believe the courses... Oh, so registration closes on the 5th of February. Uh, so what date is the workshop? The 24th of... Yeah, Saturday, February 24th. Sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. And st- Stop, can I ask... A, can I just ask a favor of you, please? Sure. On the on the script, when when you when you do these scripts here, um, if, if there's here an go. acronym, oh, yes. like I notice sometimes, like you'll just assume that I know what the acronym is. Can you just make sure you write out the acronym? Because I don't always read these articles before the show, and this one, I feel like I got a little embarrassed there. I feel like we've been over this conversation yes, before. <laughs> Duly noted. This strike two. I only have one more chance. I will say that you've gotten much better about like hyperlinking the entire like. Yeah. So we have, we've got some. Um, yeah, Stomp's got this hope. This hope for the old dog. He's got some work to do, but he's doing okay. So, <laughs> um, so Liz and Dave, I got a question for you. Do you guys ever um, in your travels have you either one of you ever like snuck into any of the local hotels to um, to sneak into the hot tub or the the sauna areas that are available? I can't say as I have. Yeah. You can't prove that I have done any of those okay, things. So right. well, no. you're both like a little local to the a little more local to the white. So you probably haven't done this. So we, I'm not naming anybody, but our friend Jimmy Chuck, <laughs> he knows what this <laughs> is all about. about yeah, um, he's the go-to. Yeah, he knows how to get into the pools and all that fun stuff. But um, apparently, there is a <laughs> which hotel is this stop? This is the. Um, uh, what is it? The Mountain View Grand Resort in Whitefield. They had an issue a few weeks back uh, where a few people got sick, somebody died, and uh, they traced it back to our good old friend Legionella, which if you know, historically, that there was a big story decades ago where um, I believe it was veterans or an, old, uh, an elderly home, all these people were dying and they found uh, Legionella bacteria up in the ventilation system up on the roof. So apparently they're having issues here with the hot tub and um, people people were uh, hit by it bad and it uh, comes down to bacteria growing in this hot, hot tub system here at the hotel. I would Shocked. take it. I would take it over. The, I'd, I'd I'd risk Legionnaires for a nice hot tub. <laughs> I guess. I mean, have you been in these hot tubs though? I mean, they're so chlorinated; it's oh, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So I can't imagine how this happened. It's very peculiar, but I guess it did. I don't know. Don't they say like? Isn't it like so? I mean, Dave, you're more of a shits in the woods type of guy, but I, my understanding is like the pee in the hot tub. Like when you can, if you can smell a lot of chlorine, that means that people have peed in the hot tub. Oh, so, is that is that true? I, you know, not as a professional on the urine side of things, but as a close first or second, I guess whoever that would go. Uh, yeah, no, is chlorine. It like Grey Wolf smells like you know Great Wolf Lodge, or whatever it is where the kids mm-hmm. swim. 
Yeah. That there's a reason for the chlorination. Huh. Yeah. Immunocompromised people and smokers are generally at higher risk, so. Okay. You're all set. I remember there was a Legionnaire's <laughs> disease outbreak at like one of the hotels in Las Vegas. I think the Rio Hotel in Vegas had had a problem with this like multiple times. So mm-hmm. I think once it gets into like whatever the air conditioning system or the ductwork or something, it's not good. So I got to be honest with you, me, me and Mr. Stump have been a little anxious about it because we've been hitting uh, Indian Head a couple times over the last few months, and we love it there. It's so much fun. But uh, yeah, their hot tub is, I guess. A potential candidate. Hopefully, they're doing the right things and taking care of it. All right. But anyway, so, well, moving on here. Um, do you? What's your responsibility when it comes to clearing snow out of your area? Like, do you just wait for a plow to go through, or do you do you like actually clear? Because you have like a shared parking lot where you live. Yeah, it's actually part of the um, the whole deal. So there is uh, gr- uh, shovelers that come in and uh, plows that come in and take care of the property. So that's a nice blessing, man. I'm telling you, not having to deal with that. Seriously. So yeah, it's great. It's so yeah. easy. Do you um, w- in places that you live before? Have you ever had any issues with like like? Because I go over like some of my neighbors are older, so I'll. I mean, I don't want to brag, and I don't think I need a Carnegie Medal for this, but I do like kind of go out in my snowblower and help them at the end of the driveway. So um, I don't know no, if that's you great. ever did that before or not. No, no, no. I, I no. I would help the people around me if I if I could. You know, yeah. like like yourself for sure. So I've never had an issue. Yeah. But uh, I've yeah. never come to blows. Let's yeah, just say well. that. And that's the reason why I uh, bring this up is that we the next story is three Pennsylvania neighbors are dead after a fight over snow shoveling. So <laughs> apparently one they had an argument. One man went into his house and got a gun. So yeah. this is in Plains Township, Pennsylvania. And um, just before 9 a.m. on Monday, officers responded to report of shots fired in a residential neighborhood. And they discovered... Uh, a husband and wife, 50 and 48-year-old, lying dead in the street in front of their home. Residents in the area directed police to a house across the street from the home, and as they approached, um, they found that the the person who had actually shot the couple had done a self-inflicted gunshot wound to himself as well. So um, apparently they had been in a long-running feud that had reached a boiling point on the snowiest day of the year, and they were snovel- shoveling, you know, the, the couple was shoveling snow from their parking spots and throwing it onto this guy's property, and then he, he just wasn't having it, so. Wow. That's I mean, crazy. I'll be honest with you. I snow blow into my, my neighbor Roger's yard next door, and I don't think he cares. <laughs> so I'm lucky I have good neighbors she is well at least it wasn't uh, the shovels I thought this story was going to be about people bashing each other with shovels no no it just oh, was a, a, a feud but um, yeah you gotta get along with your neighbors like it's not it's life's too short to not get along with your neighbors yeah yeah so you're going to grab a uh, flamethrower and start b- melting your snow like you had suggested, I, I auto road. I thought Toby liked that idea. I think they're yeah. I think they're hot for that idea for sure. Make a tank with a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yep. Okay. Uh, so next up, stop. We've got fun things to do this weekend. Ho ho ho! There are several things on here. Yeah. Ice Castle's open 
this weekend, so that's right up in Lincoln. Uh, that's always a good time. I haven't been for a few years, but uh, finally it's cold enough and they were able to make some snow. And on this list, I found a couple interesting things. This one, um, where is it? Ice castles and then uh, winter... Oh, here it is. So the Nansen Ski Club hosts a winter carnival in Milan. Uh, it takes place Saturday and Sunday uh, at 83 Milan Road, but they have an art sled rally. So sledders arrive, and they build wild and crazy decorations on their sleds. Cardboard is highly recommended. And uh, then there's a ski jump meeting. So that sounds like a really good time. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. Then they, they list some other things like an, an opera house that's opening and uh, a, a movie and whatnot. But uh, a couple fun things to do in the cold. Yeah, yeah. There's a murder mystery. Have you ever gone to one of those things where it's like audience participation? Oh, no. I, I absolutely dread that idea. Yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> like, I'm paying to be entertained. Like, I'm not, I don't want to do work. <laughs> I don't want to be tortured. Yeah, yes. yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks. How about yeah. you two? Have you ever gone to one of these things? No. <laughs> no, we did the medieval manor back in college, That's and that right. was Remember different. The medieval manor. Oh, I mean, it was participation, but it was it, it was voluntary. But I, you know, yeah. technically, after I don't know how many glasses of meat. Remember, remember the like the dark beer that they would just it would just keep going and going. Oh, that was Dave. Was, was it really nice. meat? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> well, that's a riot. they said it was meat. I'm sure it was just beer. I mean, I don't want to, you know, ruin it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like how the light in the fridge works. I don't yeah, want to It was like but. a dark, it wasn't Guinness, but it was like a dark beer like that, that they would, it, I mean, and they would just keep it coming. Like you would tell the way. It was like a log. Like yeah, it was, you just had tokens. You had the tokens you had to yes, give them or something. Right. They just kept pouring and pouring. You had to eat with your hands and. Wasn't it Cable Guy with Jim Carrey where they go to one of these things? Yeah. <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen that scene, it's, that's a funny scene. That's a good yeah. movie, by the way. Yeah. Oh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, stop. Remember the story of the guy in New Hampshire that had, he was sort of like a vagrant type, not a vagrant, but he was like a, a hermit. And he, I, I don't know if he was homeless or he just lived very frugally and he, he died and ended up leaving the town like $2 million or something crazy. Remember that story? It was in New Hampshire. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, local story here in Haverhill, Mass. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to my daughter, Megan. Ooh, she was like so excited. She's like, Dad, I think I have a story for your podcast. So, um, yeah, which is cool. So, um, this guy was like a, um, he was like a bicycle guy around Haverhill, Mass. And he spent a lot of time at um, like one of these VFW posts, I think he hung out on. Yeah. And he would constantly ride his bike around. He was known as the can man. He would collect cans. Uh-huh. So, you know, his friends were on him like, hey, you got to make sure you take care of yourself. He's an older guy. He f- apparently fell on his bike one day and the the local bartender at the VFW hall that he spent a lot of time hanging out in um, helped him out. They got him into the hospital. He was like, can you make sure that you get my backpack and keep it safe? So lo and behold, <laughs> he goes into the hospital. He's in there for a couple of weeks and then he ends up unfortunately passing away. So the the people that work at the VFW hall or whatever this this place is, they go in and look at his things and uh, they start digging through his backpack and they find about seventy thousand dollars worth of cash in the backpack. 
Wow. Yeah. So big um, chunk of change. Yeah, big <clears throat> chunk of change. This guy really lived really frugally. He didn't have a car. Drove everywhere. I don't think he lived in like a great area or anything like that. So um, hmm. they ended up giving the money to his. Or I guess it's got to go through probate, but they, they they gave his brother a heads up that right. like, look, he's got seventy thousand dollars. So they got to sort out who's going to get the money and whatnot. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting for sure. Yeah, probate's the way to go for that, I guess. Yep. Hey, this reminded me of uh, that home, well, not homeless man, but the the person that was living by adverse possession on that property. Mm-hmm. And then, remember the state tried to move him in this way? We need an update on that. That's been a while. Yeah, because remember the billionaire guy like bought him something? Yes. Yeah, if a listener knows what's happening with that story, let us know. Otherwise, maybe we'll touch on it uh, in the next episode or so. Yeah. Yeah, that's River Dave. Dave, do you know? I mean, oh, yeah, You guys must right. all keep in touch, right? It's a the Dave. <laughs> all the Dave. Yeah, it's a network. <laughs> um, you know, he's uh, kind of fallen off the grid for a little while. I'll, uh, all right. I'll circle through the other Dave. Get the Dave we'll signal up in the sky and figure out what's <laughs> yeah, going on. Yeah, that's what on. it is. Giant, giant Dave signal. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Slasher's hiking topic of the week. All right, stop. So um, we're going to move into the topic of the week. You wanted to do a refresher on the rules of the game for the 4,000 <laughs> Yeah. I did this, this came to my mind because I, when I had planned my tri-pyramids a couple weeks back, I wanted to take my mountain bike to the base of Scour Trail, and I just wanted to make absolutely sure that I could do that. You know, Violation. You, it is. It's really wild. So we can get into it here, but um, you can't do it. There's actually like three conditions for using a bike, and they're next to impossible to meet. So um, we will post this. It's easy to find. It's just at the 4,000footer.org site. And um, let's go through some of these things. Um, it's a bit verbose. Oh, what are the rules for climbing the peaks? All right, so let's start with this one. Uh, let me know if any of you don't know this, uh, Liz, Dave, Mike, but you must climb on your feet. <laughs> Was that a surprise? So far, I'm good. <laughs> so far, you're good? Okay. Okay. Uh, no riding in carriers to and from the summit of each peak two, on two. the list. All right, so yeah. these like so that's a good call out though. So like for some listeners, like if you're um, if you're like carrying your baby or whatever like that, you know, you, you, they don't get credit. Those little those little ones, they gotta they gotta walk the whole way like Littlefoot does, and you know, that's they get right. carried or picked up. None of this, none of this Floki nonsense where Floki comes and goes off of Mel's back, however Floki wants. Yeah, so yeah. Floki's got a lot of work to do, <laughs> yeah. right? Yep. Floki's a little behind, let's just Although say. I think Floki, like Mel said, this, Floki's been <laughs> hiking more than riding lately. So Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. So in winter, skis and snowshoes are cool. The committee takes no official position on the use of sleds or Swiss bobs. I, I don't quite know what that means. Well, I think what they're referencing is, um, does it count if you use a sled to get down? And um, it sounds oh. like, you know, there's no no opinion there so it counts you can you can take a sled down gotcha gotcha okay uh four peaks with trails starting at a maintained uh road the rule is simple drive to the trailhead and then walk all right so no you're not allowed to use the auto roads of mount washington mansfield or equinox uh 
That's pretty self-explanatory. For peaks and areas, go ahead, go ahead. So those like those times that I run up like the auto road, those don't those don't count as like a four thousand footer. Apparently not. Okay. Yeah, apparently not. So for peaks and areas with rough logging roads, you may drive as far as you dare with a normal car. That includes four wheel drive, but ATVs are not allowed. That's sort of quirky. Uh, yeah, that's quirky. Um, and then uh, we'll get to the mountain bikes in a minute because that's really interesting. You are allowed to count any number of peaks on a single trip and do not necessarily have to end up at the trailhead from which you started. Many peaks are commonly done as a traverse. Example, Bonds or the Presidentials. No surprise there, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty reasonable, straightforward. Yeah. All right, you must do the whole climb in one contiguous trip, which may include an overnight stay in a tent, a shelter, or a hut. For example, you cannot count climbing Monroe from the summit of Washington after a trip up the Cog Railway because you climbed Washington on a past hike or hike up Cannon and take the tramway down, then come back later, take the tramway up and hike down. That's, that's common sense, too. All right, now here comes the kicker. Here comes the kicker, because everybody has thought about taking a bike down Lincoln Woods Road to get over that dreaded five miles of tediousness or yeah, vice versa I was, back. I was strongly thinking about that as I walked down Lincoln Woods last weekend. Yeah, and like Livermore Road is three miles just to get to the um, the northern portion of the tries. So it's like, oh man. All right. Tempting. So yeah, they, they just go into the basic thing here that mountain bikes have increased in popularity. Um, they're trying to set these rules here that we'll go over to preserve the tradition of traditional climbing on foot, not on bikes. Um, in winter, they've absolutely forbidden the use of snowmobiles, which is interesting, even when a road is passable to ordinary cars in summer. So that would mean um, me going to Caps Ridge on my sled wouldn't work, if I read that correctly. Okay. So Jefferson Notch Road is open in the summer. It's closed in the winter for snowmobiles. So I guess that's out. Yeah? Anybody? Are you frozen? Is this the part where he's a mime? Yeah, yeah. So we may, um, let's give him a second, oh, and then boy. if he doesn't come back in, we're going to stop. Here. And then, yeah, all right. So I'm going to stop Hold recording on. right now. Hey, I'm back. Hey, Stomp. I'm, I'm not What recording. the hell happened? No, it's yeah, okay. I'm still recording on, on my end, so... Uh, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Um, <laughs> I'm going to hit record. Yeah, I'm good. Because I was just yapping for the last five minutes, so it's all good. Oh, you were. So I'm just getting to the good stuff. So the mountain biking thing, are you recording now? Yeah, I'm recording now. All right. So it's acceptable to use bikes on logging roads that are, one, not part of an officially maintained trail. That's, That's easy. Two, legally open to the general public for car, truck travel on the day of the trip. All right, so that's the killer there. That's a, that's a killer for most of the roads that we use. And three, are fairly easily passable to an average four-wheel drive vehicle, not an ATV, without heroic measures such as winches. So those are the three conditions for using a bike, and um, it looks like it's a no-go for most of us 4K hikers out there. Yeah, yeah. All just right? don't use a bike. Don't use a bike. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Is there a time limit? No, there's no time limit. Um... You just have to do some decent notes, though, on your list when you're going to submit your your 48 list because they do look them over and they do check. They look for 
discrepancies that may be a little fishy. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So those are the basic yeah, they, rules. Yeah, they they reached out to me and asked me about because I did Musalak and uh, Tecumseh on the same day. So they asked me like, what what's, what was the deal with that? Was, okay, I just had a a day off and I I did two hikes. Yeah, there you go. So them is the rules. Don't you dare break them. All right. All right, everyone, get out there and get your 4,000 footers done. (laughs) Are you ready for Slasher's Ear Review? So moving on to... um, Gear review. So, Stomp, yeah. I had uh, I was down in Florida, and I got a chance to see there was three rocket launches, and I saw two of them. But on one of those uh, rocket launches, I think that there was some something to do with a Swedish satellite dish. And then, apparently, <clears throat> in addition to the rocket launches, there's a, a news article came out that Starlink is now going to be pushing out a mini dish, which will be coming out later this year. So the dish will be small enough to fit into a backpack. And um, there's also an upcoming cellular Starlink service, which will offer um, 7 megabytes per second and bandwidth per cell. And essentially this mini dish that they're talking about is a portable version of Starlink and it's set to arrive in the coming months. So it'll be introduced. They'll be introducing the Starlink Mini later this year. Cool. That can fit into a backpack. And uh, they did a post on it, so I'll share that with with everybody. And um, apparently, in September, the FCC approved Star, uh, SpaceX's application to operate Starlink Mini dishes, mm-hmm. which it says it's about the size of a MacBook. Uh, they've been huh. relatively quiet about like the the pricing and the specs and the image of what it's going to look like, but it'll be cool for anyone who wants a very portable Starlink. So think about like RVers, um, people that are actually you know going to go out for two three days and they want to carry that extra weight. Mm-hmm. You know you you can bring um, you know a, something the size of a MacBook out there and get get internet connection, which is cool. I mean, I wonder like what the application is going to be. Yeah. Potentially for like the, if the AMC wanted to get better internet connection or, um, you know, search and rescue teams want to be able to make sure that they've got a, a secure internet connection. Like this could be huge. Yeah. For certain cases. Yeah. I mean, the size exactly. is a little daunting for a hiker, but I could see it if you were going back country on a, a machine or something that makes sense or maybe yeah, backpacking. Yeah. And I don't know what the range is as far as like where you set the dish up and the uh, the the Wi-Fi uh, box, you know, is it a hundred feet or two hundred feet? But you could definitely see somebody setting up like a command station, maybe higher up on the mountain, if you were doing like a longer search. And you've got these dishes, and you can be a lot closer to where the search teams are and have reliable internet connection. Yeah, got it. So yeah. More to come on that. Yeah, will it be a competitor to Garmin and their smaller units? I, don't I think know. so. Yeah, it's going to be a competitor competitor for everything. It'll be a competitor for um, cell phones. It'll be a competitor for even just regular internet service. Well, as long as the prices come down, because we we've been doing a lot of research on the search and rescue end about the Garmin sixty six eyes and all that, and the subscriptions are not cheap. 
I pay, I think it's like a hundred bucks a month for Starlink and you can't cancel it and pause it. So I'm not using it right now. Okay. But well, Garmin can, I, that's, yeah. yeah, it's a cancellation fee and you can suspend it, but that's a monthly fee as well. So it's, it gets you no matter what you're doing. Yeah. We all know that hiking a mountain can be hard at times. So here's a corny dad joke to help you get over it. But I'm bummed. All right, Stomp, this is the part of the show where I do my dad joke. So uh, why does a dog do so well at school? Uh, Why? Because it's the teacher's pet. Oh, dude, I should have known that one. (laughs) That was right right. right there, low-hanging fruit. That was good. What do you what do you Thanks think? Thanks to Lance and Liz Camilla Dave. again for my dad jokes book. <laughs> oh man. Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stomp. All right, Stomp, this is the part of the show where we do pop culture talk. So we've got like three or four segments here. So Dave wants yeah. to talk about Black Mirror. What is going on here, Dave? Uh, Black Mirror is a Netflix series, yeah. and it is about basically social media technology, and it kind of has different stories that play off how it affects society in different scenarios. Some of them are, I do not get uncomfortable, and they made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, they're weird. And some of them are just mind bending. Yeah. Um, it's a phenomenal series. It's it, it, you know, in, in different levels. I really enjoy it. It's worth checking out. Mm. Yeah, I, I I don't know if we've ever brought it up on the show, but yeah, it's amazing. Like in some of the like future forward looking things that they bring up is like the one that stands out to me is the episode where I think it's Ron Howard's daughter. I think Bryce Howard is her name. She was like um, essentially like it's like a social credit that people can see. So essentially, like every interaction you have with another human being, they'll give you like five stars or four stars or whatever, and you get an overall rating. And like she did something that like lowered her her social score and she freaked out and it was this whole thing about like how all this stuff just got taken away from her because it's very similar to like sort of the like cancel culture and like um all the things that you see going on today and it was like and i think they were ahead of the curve because that episode came out like three four years ago and we've seen a lot of that that's what i find is they tend to like almost preempt some of the things that happen in real society before it even happens. There's there's a great episode with Topher Grace, which was from the '70s show, mm. um, and the guy who was on um, was it Sherlock, the BBC yeah. version with Benedict Cumberbatch, which is a great series too. But um, he was in it, and it's about basically the impacts, the real impacts of using social media um, and what can happen. I don't want to give anything away. I'm a ruiner like that, but it's a, it's a really like it's. It's hard hitting. Like even my son was watching that. He's eighteen, and he just kind of was like, "Damn!" Yeah, <laughs> it was like, "Yeah, it hits home." Yeah, I it's, think it's wild. There's another episode too that's really interesting and stomp. I, I don't. I, I sort of have this like th- 
I don't know if it's possible or not, but like there's this episode that's kind of like Star Trek, but ultimately like it's essentially like it talks about how the world that we're living in is essentially like a simulation and it's just repeating like the Liz is nodding her head. I think she's a fan of this. So it's just sort of repeating scenarios over and over again around potential like, um, you know, you know, uh, simulations theory. So instead of us actually living in a world where there's like a God or there's like, some of the it's essentially just a computer where we're all just going back and forth through different simulations so hmm yeah I remember that one makes you think Stomp yeah my favorite is uh, Metalhead that is uh, involving the robot dogs and they use they use USBs on their paws to open doors to turn on cars cars are driving by themselves now but the the dogs themselves are armed to the hilt and they're they're running around just killing humans it's so prescient it's unbelievable uh that one was terrifying and and it's it's literally uh, it's reality now i mean it's no doubt about it all that stuff is totally plausible yeah so we'll definitely put that in the show notes and encourage people to check out black mirror that's a good call dave yeah um, all right, next up here for pop culture, there's a new podcast coming out from Julie Murray. So Julie is the sister of Mara Murray. So Mara Murray, we've talked about her case. She's a missing person that went missing, um, I believe, in 2003, maybe 2004. Um, UMass student that um, got into a small car accident, a single car accident in Haverhill, New Hampshire, uh, had a brief interaction with the local homeowner, and then uh, police came on the scene. In between her interaction with the homeowner and the arrival of the police, she disappeared, and she hasn't been located or found since. And uh, there's been like multiple podcasts and specials on Oxygen Channel and all these different theories, and it's probably one of the biggest mysteries around. Uh, Julie Murray is um, releasing a new podcast called Media Pressure. And from Julie's perspective, she's taking back the story because uh, she feels like you know there's a lot of things that go on around this this story that are um, either misreported uh, or aren't aren't correct. So she's trying to basically take control of the story by uh, releasing this podcast. I follow Julie on TikTok. She's got a lot of good uh, good information that she's shared over the last year or two, and I think it's good for her to. Uh, step in and really get more involved in this so I'm looking forward to it so it's called Media Pressure and it's going to be released I think in February okay cool yeah that's sort of cool I mean it's nice seeing the family try to jump ahead of the media the media is I don't know so unreliable and clickbait they're driven driven by clickbait you never know what's real with that stuff yeah yeah and Dave Liz do either one of you have a sort of a pet theory about Mara Murray or do you not know enough about it Any, any comments It's so hard to say. I mean, because I, I just, you know, what was in her mind before all of that happened? And why was she there in the first place? And what did she pack? Like, a lot of things just don't make sense from that perspective in my mind. Like, it's just, you know, how did she get there might answer where she was going and how she or where it went wrong and where she landed. But it's hard to wrap your head around it. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Liz. Yeah, I I only know from what I've heard you guys talk about. So I have not looked, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole of of looking at more information. Trust me, if you got more, if you got stuff going on, don't go down it because it's a deep one. But but I think, Dave, you're right. Like there was a lot going on in her life personally. And, you know, between the relationship she had going on and, you know, her transition from West Point to UMass and her commitment to the track team and, 
a whole bunch of different things that um, that factor into this. That um, it it just sounds like she was in a bit of turmoil before she headed out, and you know who the heck knows what was going on in her mind. Yeah, I just hope that we solve the mystery for the sake of the family. Yeah, All I right, don't. Stops. I don't have an opinion on that one. It's uh, I'm with you, Liz. It's just too much. It's yeah. a, He's sick of me talking about it. So <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Uh, all right next up we got a uh, article here so stomp we talked about remember that guy in yellowstone that was hiking with his his sister and he like went off trail and he got like he fell into the acid and he, he basically all they found was like a a pinky bone from him exactly <laughs> <Remember> that <laughs> so yeah um you know the guy that plays w 007 pierce brosnan yeah he used to play yeah 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 he's a good looking englishman yeah, not so much anymore. I'm looking at this picture, and his like teeth are a little bit uh, English, I guess. <laughs> Storm, how do you get us canceled from all our English listeners? Someone just set the bar pretty high. What we can say tonight? <laughs> oh. Yeah, trust me. I'm like uh, I'm like Yellowstone geyser right now. I'm trying to hold in my. Uh, I don't know. Oh. It's been a weird 48 hours. Let's just say that. All right. Well, he's got like he does have a like an issue. He's got a little snaggle on the lower tooth. I will admit, but like the 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 father picture out, he's got the Indiana Jones hat. He's looking dapper. Yeah, but he's doing he's doing the old "Do you know who I am?" thing, and that's really yeah, annoying. Well, look, Stomp, you'll never be as good looking as Pierce Brosnan. So just don't be jealous. But anyway, uh, Pierce is in trouble because Pierce decided he was in Yellowstone National Park. I don't know what he was doing, just a vacation, but Pierce decided that he was going to go and wander off into these mammoth hot springs. And he did this on November 1st. And you know, when you do something like this, especially when you're breaking a law, you want to make sure that it doesn't get out into the media. But unfortunately, <laughs> he's out there just like wandering around these like hot acid springs and he uh, got himself in trouble. So he was... Um, cited and fined for wandering off into these hot springs which are off limits to tourists because they're super fragile and they can take years to correct hmm. if damaged so um what a guy yeah last i let me see how much did he get fined might see a five thousand dollar fine it says yeah, or he's fighting the charges too yeah he's fighting the charges six months hard time yeah. I, I hope he gets the six months hard time. Hard time. What, what exactly would hard time be to, for a, a celebrity? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But he's fighting. He should just write a check and apologize. <laughs> no kidding, right? What is wrong with him? Oh, boy. I used to like this guy. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. All right, Stomp. So I got a question for you. Uh, we did actually talk about this over text, but if if we were in a situation where, um, and Dave and Liz, like you guys can join in on this too. If say we were, we were flying to Alaska and we got on a plane crash and two of us survived, two of us died and we had no other options, would you or would you not eat the people that did not survive? Well, they can answer first. Dave? <laughs> Dave eats... Dead people. Uh, <laughs> no one's a vegan, right? You guys aren't vegans. Yeah. You know? no, I'm not a vegan, though. I, I'm good. Then. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I mean, if, in a situation, if I had to survive, yeah, I mean, somebody's going to be a uh, hot pocket. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Liz. 
Come on. This is like, what did I sign up for here? Fess up. <laughs> the answer to this question determines who I hike with in the future. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's see. No, I, I know what you're I, I think if it's a matter of survival, I'd hate yeah. to do it. Yeah, it's either yeah. it's either die or eat your uh, eat your your passengers, your fellow passengers. So the yeah. reason I bring this up is because there's a movie on uh, Netflix, which it's a fantastic movie. It's called Society of the Snow. There's another movie that was out in the 90s called The Live that that tells the same story. So it was. It's a story of in 1972, there was a Uruguayan um, rugby team that crashed in the Andes Mountains, and uh, they were forced to survive for, I think, like 90 days or 60 days or something like that. And there was like 45 people on the plane. I think um, like 15 of them died on the initial crash. And unfortunately, they had no, they had very little food. So they were forced to eat the fellow passengers to stay alive. And eventually, like, they survived, like, 17 days. I think, like, 30 of them survived for, like, two weeks. Then they got hit with, like, a brutal avalanche. And I think half of the survivors died in one night because of the avalanche. And then eventually two of the survivors were able to hike out into, um, I think, Chile to, uh, to get rescue. And ultimately, I think 15 or so of them survived. But, yeah, they did have to eat their fellow passengers, so... Um, tough situation, but Stomp, I already gave you permission over text that you would certainly be free to eat me if I'm dead, so I appreciate that. Yeah, as a a card-carrying Catholic, I did some deeper research on that. Oh, you did? And according to the Catholic faith, you can cannibalize if you did not purposely murder the person you're eating. So, good to go. Purposely? Murder? Pur- intentionally or purposely, yeah, yeah. But if it was no it was fault... accidental murder? I, I, oh, I'm like neg- ne- negligence or something like that? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, just, I don't know, loophole. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you're the priest. You should tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It all depends where you start. So you have to answer that. Which part would you start with? What would, you know, what do you eat first? Well, I think in the movie, they, like, started with, like, the thigh area, like the buttocks and the thigh. So... Mm, this is a great topic. Did you guys ever see yeah. The Terror? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's a book. It's a HBO miniseries with Jared. Um, I forget the actor's name, but it's a fantastic, fantastic series. But there's some cannibalism going on in that story as well with a twist. So, highly recommended. Hook. Okay, so Society of the Snow, and and I thought it was just just as it was a fantastic movie, and sometimes these movies where there's not a lot of like movement from one location to the other can go a little bit slow, but this was absolutely fantastic movie. It is Spanish language, so it's a du- it's dubbed, but like honestly, you like you can't even notice the dubbing. Um, so it's I highly recommended. I actually, yeah. I actually just watched it just the other day. You did, so okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. So I'll, I'll put that in the show show notes. And um, Stomp, I think we're moving on. We've got a sponsor here. Yeah. Do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem, Valcluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. 
It's also ultra light, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit VaucluseGear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER, S-L-A-S-R, to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Hey, I just got to say, I found some, I just stumbled across some videos on YouTube. Um, They're just people reviewing the Vaucluse frame, and they are all positive. Um, Really cool. I'll have to dig them up and uh, show you guys next week, but... um, yeah, it's great. Uh, the word on the street is that this uh, frame is uh, two thumbs up, five stars. Yeah, no, I like it a lot. I'll um, I'll dig those up and put those in the show notes so that we have them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we haven't mentioned this in a while, but you can get your free stickers at Ski Fanatics off of Exit 28 in Campton, uh, across from Dunkin' Donuts or adjacent to Dunks, and at Spinner's Pizza Parlor in Andover, Massachusetts, off Dascom Road. Say hi to Dolls and Pops for us. And uh, if anybody's out there looking to advertise with us, drop us a line at slasherpodcast at gmail.com. And moving on. Hey, hold my beer. It's time to find out what Mike and Stomp are drinking. On this week's Beer Talk... Right, this is the part of the show where we talk about if we're drinking beer or not. So, mm. um, I love beer. I think, stop. let's start with, I haven't seen Liz drinking anything, but Dave had, fl- oh, Liz has got something. All right, Liz, why oh. don't we start with you? What do you, what do you got going on there? It's a pink, yeah. something pink. Down East Cider. I'm trying the pomegranate. Okay. For the pomegranate yeah what do you what do you think is it good i think so i you know it's not my favorite flavor but i like it yeah is it fruit i've never had these like sours and fruity things is is it like sweet it's or little, is it i think that's what it is i think it's a little too sweet for me i, I don't like okay. super sweet but um i'm enjoy. i mean i'm working my way through it <laughs> you're working your way through it do you have like a preference do you always go with the uh, like the, the the fruit stuff or do you tend to uh, drink more regular I, beer i i don't typically drink beer i mean i'll have a guinness or um from time to time um i like what dave's drinking you'll hear that in a minute um it or i like myself some whiskey <laughs> i thought i'd go with the cider today <laughs> okay all right good call and dave what do you got uh some people call it uh black and green or they call it a snake bite. It's basically a downy cider, and then you float Guinness on the top. It's a little flat right now, but then it makes like a lava lamp. Mm-hmm. But it starts a little bit bitter, and then it finishes really, really sweet. It's delicious. Huh. All right. Well, that's much more fancy than I think what Stomp has. It, well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm doing my adventurous thing here, so you can see that. Yeah. Yeah, you got that. So I have... Is that know, Kiss? No, yeah, I don't know what that logo is. It looks like three S's. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I haven't tasted it yet. Hold on. Ah. So this is a double IPA, and it's called Modest Man, and it's brewed in Keene, New Hampshire. And check this out. It says, tasting notes. I love this stuff. Single Hop Galaxy. Candied tropical fruits. Juicy peach. Subtle darkness. And creamy mouth feel. <laughs> Let's see if it lives up to that Ass. description, huh? All right, all right, yeah. Ass. All right, oh, I see it's the logo. Certainly now. creamy. 
That is a creamy yeah. mouthfeel. It's almost All like right, a stout. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from Stomp's creamy mouth, um, I've got a just a regular uh, so main beer company lunch IPA. So nice. How does your mouth feel? It feels just regular, whatever regular. Okay, regular mouth. It's, it's good. Definitely doesn't feel whatever Stomp was talking about. So. That, that's good. I just was. <laughs> yeah. No, my wife get like apparently they sell these at Trader Joe's now. My wife for some reason, I'm like, why can't you go to Market Basket? But she's got to go to Trader Joe's. I knew we should have gone left back there. Stomp, don't worry. I know it's this way. I've got a feeling in my gut. Uh, are you sure you're not about to have a bowel emergency? <laughs> uh, totally. We got this. But I just blew out my hip. Fell down that gully with my 40-year-old microspikes. Suck it up, Stomp. It's 4 p.m. We're at 3,500 feet. We got nine miles back to the parking lot. Your leg may be broken. We got no cell connection, and we can't feel our fingers. But we're finishing all of my list tonight. <sighs> By the way, I need some water. I'm empty. I would if I could see what I'm doing, but my headlamp batteries are dead. You gotta be kidding me. What a chump. This is the last time I hike with you. Ha, whatever, mister. Do you know me? I have a podcast. Whatever. Let's find out what Mike and Stomp have been hiking. Um, all right. And now moving on to the part of the show where we talk about recent hike stomp. So it looks like you yeah. went, uh, did you go butt sledding down Cannon? Is that what's going on? No, that wasn't me. But uh, uh, yeah, this was my number 28 out of the winter 48. Um, I went up Kinsman Ridge Trail. It was mint. I bare booted the whole way up uh, without traction. I put my traction on for the way down, like a three-hour turnaround for the whole trip. It was really nice. It was super cloudy for most of the trip out at the summit. It broke, and it just made for a really nice, nice hike. A little bit cold, but I bumped into Andy and Sandy Cannon on the way up. And Oh, nice. Yeah, they were doing good, and that was great to see them. There's some of the reckless uh, uh, people, and... Um, Andy, he's like, he's like, yeah, I was butt sledding. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Where do you do that? And he's like, oh, you'll see. So when you get up past the uh, the glades of that that ski trail that sort of zips back and forth over Kinsman Ridge Trail, um, mm-hmm. there's that junction where you, you go left and it's just the last quarter mile up to the the first overlook. It was completely flat from Andy's butt sled mark, and uh, I couldn't believe how long the track was. I had not considered that section for butt sledding. And butt sledding is something we haven't talked about recently, but this is a great spot for it. Other one, other sections that come to mind would be uh, you know, Liberty. Liberty is a fantastic butt sledding area. And uh, So anyway, yeah, that's my hike. But do uh, you guys have any butt sled uh, favorite locations? Salt Hancock, number one. Oh. Yeah, good call. That's a steep one. Yeah. That's definitely a steep one. Yeah. Uh, so coming off Tom, the long slide, by uh, come off past Avalon, that long, long slide. Long, long. Oh. You get some good speed up on that. For sure, for sure. I've heard. Um, Valley Way. I've had some runs on Valley Way that go for like three or four minutes. Like the lower part of Valley Way is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cog. Also, uh, Lance and Camilla, they brought like the, the Euro sleds. Yeah. And they went from like uh, basically, um, not Jacob's Ladder, but like the t- where, where, the, um, where the skiers all go up to 
you know, halfway mark, and they went all the way down on their butt sleds in like 10 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's good options. Super fun. That's a great time. I tried fishing Jimmy by accident. It was more of a plinko. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't much of a slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so, how about I, you, um, I was, I did, I took the crew out to Owl's Head, so I had a good crew of uh, the Jakester and Peter and um, Steve, who's uh, the guy that I met last year on... Um, on the Carters, and then um, Nick, Nick. Yeah, Nick joined us as well, and uh, Mike, Mike Keen. So mm-hmm. it's great to great crew, and uh, yeah, we went out to Owl's Head. It was pretty uneventful. It's just a long day, it's seventeen miles, eighteen miles. Um, what was your route? So we did it. Basically, you break this hike up into like four sections. So you've got Lincoln Woods, which is about two miles, two and a half miles. Then you take the Black Pond Trail, and the second section is essentially like Black Pond Bushwhack. The, the one thing I did screw up on was I missed the actual real Black Pond Bushwhack, and I went to this other like unmarked trail. It's basically like you you can go left of the drainage or you can go right of the drainage. I unfortunately went right of the drainage, and then picked up the bushwhack again so it was no big deal but um so that's the second part is basically the black pond bushwhack that's about two and a half miles then you get on to um lincoln brook trail which is basically a flat trail he's got a couple of water crossings and i think that's maybe about a mile and a half or so two miles and then you get to the brutus bushwhack so we did not go up the slide we didn't go that far down lincoln brook we went up the Brutus Bushwhack, which is essentially going up like the southern end of Owl's Head. Mm-hmm. And I think Mike had broken trail up to uh, the connection to the Owl's Head path. And then I took over from there. But yeah, we had to break trail. Uh, so we bare booted from Lincoln Woods, Black Pond, Lincoln Brook. We didn't, I didn't even put spikes on. Everything was just pretty much packed out, or there was like minimal snow. And then from the Brutus Bushwhack, it was like pretty heavy snow, believe it or not. It was like crusty, and then we hit 3,500 feet, and then it was like soft powder. So we put our snowshoes on at the bottom of the Brutus section and then made our way up. But it was steep. Hmm. Steep. And then, yeah, we just had lunch at the summit and then reverse course and came back. No issues with the water crossings. Everything's bridged over. Okay. We sent our heaviest guy over first and he had no problem. So we're good to go. <laughs> I wrote on the, I wrote on the New England trail conditions. I was like, water crossing is no problem. Just send your least favorite hike, hiker in your group over and have them test it out. So, That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, good stuff. Uh, but no, it's a good one. I'm at 43 of, 48 for the winter 4,000 footer and then I had an epiphany on this hike I originally I've got to do the Zeeland Bonge Traverse to finish up the winter 48 Mm -hmm. and I decided like originally I was like I'll do it on a single day I think I'm just going to stay over at Zeeland like I just I'm not interested in doing a death march like that so yep how come you didn't um, do the slide you just didn't want to risk going up the slide in the winter no, not so much. It was yeah. just like there was no, it was cloudy, it was snowing a yeah. little bit, and there was no view. So, and I had never done Brutus, and I was like, oh, let's just do something different. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if there was a view in the like blue skies, and, not, and then maybe I would have gone up the slide to get a little bit of that view out into Franconia Ridge, but yeah, wasn't, wasn't even, it wasn't going to happen. Well, that was the day the uh, squalls are coming in too. 
by the end of the day, the squalls were coming in crazy. So yeah. when we got to like Black Pond, it started coming down like crazy. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like the roads in Lincoln were really bad. Driving home that night, oh my gosh. Was that uh, sun- Sunday night? Was any of you guys out on the road? Like there was like six accidents. It was terrible everywhere. Yeah, it was it was awful up here. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, I was white knuckling it. But yeah, that's it for recent hike stop. All right, cool. Uh let's see. So Fieldstone Kombucha, New England's premier craft kombucha company. If you're in the heart of New England, you need to drink a New England style kombucha. Softer, less acidic, and truly enjoyable. Our kombucha is naturally effervescent and boasts full bodied flavor. Fieldstone crafts the best seasonal flavors. When we tell you there's blueberries in our baby bandit flavor, it nearly turns your tongue blue. Women owned and operated, we brew in Rhode Island using whole locally sourced ingredients. Fieldstone kombucha is the perfect replenishing drink after a day on the slopes or a trek in the woods. It's chock full of probiotics and healthy acids to keep you in top form. Find us at Biederman's in Plymouth, Mad River Coffee House in Campton, the Concord Food Co-op, and more. Check out our website for the full list of New Hampshire and New England-wide locations. Use code SLASHER, S-L-A-S-R, on our website for 10% off an online order. Ship straight to your door. So that's FieldstoneKombuchaCo.com. I've been having them. They're great uh, at Mad River Coffee. They have like three or four different flavors available there, so definitely check them out. Nice stomp. You can if you mixed your the beer that you're drinking and then a, a Fieldstone kombucha, you can have a creamy mouth and a blueberry tongue. Right, and a happy belly from all those happy probiotics. Belly. That's yes. a healthy lifestyle, He's right? The guy there, you want right? to eat when you're hiking. Yes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you start with first, though? Would you go ready for the stomach? I think I'm a calf guy. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, long. <laughs> I would suggest going for this. I don't know. I think of a calf guy. I go with the calf. It's like you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god. It's time for Slasher's Notable Hike of the Week. If you want to be considered for the Hike of the Week, simply tag Slasher on your social media post. So, Stomp, this is the part of the show where we do notable listener hikes of the week. And this is the, I think this is the first time that we've ever had a notable listener hike with, with a guest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some guy named... Well, I am the Susan Lucci of notable hikes, are. just for the record. I, I never the notable hike. Look at the competitions. That's all I'm going to say before you read them. Look at the competition again. Yeah, and I think the problem is that, like, you... Here's the issue, Dave, is that you do, like... The you do like awesome hikes, but you like there's a lot of times they're very obscure, even to like me and Stomp. I'm like, where the hell is this guy hiking? So, although I feel like you should have gotten like you did that hike at the end of um, what's that road that goes out to Percy Peaks and all that stuff? There was that you, oh, the Nash, yeah, yeah. Didn't you do the end of like, yeah, I should have given it. That was we did the longs and news and Whitcomb and yeah, a couple bunch of stuff out there in the trip. Right, so I don't know, maybe yeah. maybe Littlefoot was doing something that week and you got knocked out. I'm sure she, yeah, it, it, she was, and someone completed their 48, and yeah. somebody else was on Everest, and it, it just didn't it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Right. <laughs> he's just he's just a little sore because I think you picked me for the the notable hike of the week last 
spring when I did the um, Crawford Ridge Pole tra- yeah. uh, okay. Traverse, like yeah. the whole the squams. I did the yes. squam Traverse, like 13 miles. And <laughs> uh, well, she made up a shirt that she said "Notable Hiker," and I had to follow it, look at it the whole trip. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. All right, so Snop, we need to just make a pledge. Like, we will never, ever get... He's going to be the Susan Lucci for Infinity. That's it. That's it. I run her up. That's hilarious. So, Always the unnotable hiker, never the notable hiker. Yeah. So for the listeners, like, so this is... um, So Dave who goes by Dave Shits in the Woods is with us and he's like consistently always puts in for notable listener hike of the week and oh, yeah. apparently I didn't know this but he's never won so which I think is hilarious <laughs> yeah. and we're going to keep that yeah, streak going awesome. <laughs> yeah, keep a Kleenex in business with all the tears over here yeah. that's all I'm saying that's all I'm saying well we have some uh, we have a, a Dave Shits posted so Melvin Hill Dave yeah whatever yeah East Springfield Mountain uh, on a second tag you did Crotchet Mountain and Morgan Pond Mountain. Very cool, Dave. Very cool. And Liz accompanied me in three of those. So it was a good trip. Uh, was- uh-oh. Here come here comes some hikes by some little people. So sorry, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So little Yeah, here we go. Listen, number one. <laughs> Littlefoot Hiking Adventures did Liberty Flume for 43 of the winter 48, and then Osceola's for 212 out of the grid and 407 mm-hmm. out of the grid for Mimi. Uh let's see. So we have Carrie Burrell opted for North Kearsage over Adams due to the frigid temps. That was this last Sunday. Cameron Casey 3 did Star King. Um, And then, of course, your crew from um, Owl's Head Mike. You had Ginger Baird Keen. uh, That was his number eight. Um, Nick Hikes and Plays Guitar. That was his number 27 for the Winter 48. And uh, that's all I have from there. So there you go. So any winners? Yeah, Littlefoot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I knew it was not I knew it was not did I get a vote <laughs> there's no vote I just declare the winner and oh, it's not Dave Shits in the Woods right oh Mike I think uh, uh, Dave dropped is he still with us <laughs> I'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can't hear him so. Yeah, no, that's that's fun. Yeah. Although I should have yeah. given like my own crew notable. I guess I can't though. I can't. Yeah, insider trading. I wrote a speech and everything. It's just you know, it's, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep changing the date. Well, I mean, <laughs> so we might as well just get into. So this is we'll just move into your segment. So Dave and Liz, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Is big moment? Okay, sure. you've been studying the script. Oh, yeah. I hope right. Okay. <laughs> It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So um, this is our... So we're doing a listener spotlight. We've got Dave and Liz here. So we want to welcome them uh, for this listener spotlight. So again, they're... Experienced local hikers, uh, they frequently get out to some of the more obscure areas of the whites in pursuit of the 100 highest and the 500 highest list, then a bunch of different lists. Um, they get a lot of experience. So um, 
they are part of this like this secret cult of the the 500 highest that Stomp's involved oh. with. It's kind of like an Illuminati group that uh, that's run by Stomp, I think. Yeah. But uh, Stomp, can you give a little bit of background? So you were the one that had sort of reached out and I think organized this whole evening here. So can you talk a little bit about how you've got to know both both Liz and Dave? Sure, sure. Well, you two have both caught my attention individually and then as a peer for your uh, just pretty prolific work on the 500 list in particular. So um, I've been paying attention. And your uh, Dave, in particular, your, your descriptions of um, the hikes that you do are really awesome too. And um, just both of you seem like really cool folks to come in and we we try to bring in listeners every now and then just to break things up and uh give the listeners some idea of who's out there and what they're doing and what they're all about so we thought you two would be a really great addition and uh you know thanks for agreeing to come on despite how poorly we treat dave uh you know we really appreciate it yeah 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 great hikes not notable just great hikes yeah whatever Whatever, stomp, whatever. And, al- <laughs> and also for the for the listeners, just just to give the listeners a heads up, Dave has one of those like um you know, when you defeat all the other um um IPA bros beard, he's got like the final boss version of that. Clip on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm trying I'm working on mine. It's not not working that very well but um so liz why don't we start with you um why don't you introduce yourself can you talk a little bit about your background talk a little bit about how you got into hiking and outdoor activities and all that fun stuff sure um i am not someone who grew up hiking i actually grew up in western new york near niagara falls transplanted here after college with my husband and late 90s and that's when i started hiking because there's really cool places to hike um pounced around a bit and then we had kids so didn't hike as much. I got into running a lot, um, ran everything, Mar- you know, everything from 5K to marathons. And then when the kids were a little bit older, we I started dragging them out for hikes. They liked it. They didn't like it, that kind of thing. So then I decided to do it myself and um, started poking around with um, smaller hikes. And then Dave introduced me to the uh, 4,000 footers and... Then it kind of took off after that, (laughs) and I really got into hiking. Not so much running anymore, but a lot of hiking. Uh, So similar trajectory to me. Like, I sort of the same background. Like, was a big runner and then got into hiking. And uh, did you, when did you, like, what date did you really start getting into hiking around the Whites? Was it the the 90s or the 2000s? No, no, it it was later. Like, I just, like... For a long time, it was just little things like Monadnock and Pack Monadnock and, and Mount Major. And it wasn't till like, I don't know, 2016, 17, 18, somewhere in there, I started doing more and more. And then after COVID, I just took like, that's all I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, were you mostly a day hiker or did you get into backpacking and overnight I, stuff pretty I, quickly? Yeah. I, I started with the day hiking. And then my very first backpacking trip was with Dave and another friend of mine, um, for my, for uh, Izzy and I finished our four thousand footer list on a backpacking trip when we did okay. the um, the bonds um, as a backpacking trip, and we actually kind of did a loop in the Pemi. So Dave introduced us to backpacking on that trip, and then found that I really enjoyed that as well. So I've done other trips since then. Um, and how did you and Dave meet? 
I, I, uh, our kids went to school together. So um, okay. PTO. <laughs> He was the PTO president um, when oh, our kids really? were in school. <laughs> yeah. The story, I mean, this oh, is cool. the face of the PTO. I mean, <laughs> and I applied to be, you know, on the cover of PTO monthly and nothing. Just same story. Same, just well, same thing. A veto by everybody. It's, not a, it, it's honestly not a bad move because you get to meet all the moms. Uh, I, if, if you want to go that route, I was being the more protective parent and not, you know, it's a creeper-ish. I'm just saying, you know, but yet I, I can't confirm that I was. Anyhow, the long and short is I met the kids I didn't want my kids hanging out with, which was kind of cool. Yes. <laughs> but I also met the moms that were very nice to talk yeah. to, which was wonderful, you know. Yeah, that's actually how we met. That's good. So, so it became like a spinoff. Oh, that's great. And um, so he didn't, he must not have given off too many creepy vibes then if you were like willing to go out into the woods alone with him. <laughs> he actually. There was no Bill Cosby going on. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, and then he, uh, he he's, a, he's a handyman and I hired him to do some tiling in a bathroom and we became friends and he'd tell me about his hikes and then he dragged me, dragged, no, uh, invited me to hike Cannon. Um, like summer of 2020 and I had, I'd already done a couple 4,000 footers, but with my family. Um, and that's when I decided that I wasn't going to do the 4,000 footer list at all. Nope. Nope. I said it on that hike. I wasn't going to do it. And then I did it. Did it, uh, there was it like a, a thing that you, so for me, like I was obsessive about it. Like, you know, oh, I got to do all, and I ended up expanding it to like the 52 of the view and the 25, but were you, did you do it very deliberately once you started going or uh, was it just more casually? Oh no, it was very deliberate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You got the same personalities. It sounds like. So. And do you, um, did you start off with just like sort of three season hikes or did you get into winter hiking pretty quickly? I got into winter hiking pretty quickly because David already finished his 4,000 footer list uh, when he introduced me to the the list, but he had, he'd been, he'd started working on his winter 4,000 footer. So he took me out that winter on a test, like just before winter Liberty and flume, which was the most horrid hike ever. Cause the conditions were f- horrible. Um, like really soft, loose snow raining, and I decided I wanted to do it again, like do something else. And he, I think our second one was, was that the hail hike? I think then we, and then we did the twin. It was the fire warden's yeah, path accident. that was not found. Yeah, we had an accidental, our first bushwhack was accidental, was a, a winter hike of hail via fire wardens, but we never found fire wardens. So Dave's like, let's just bushwhack up hail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's reasonable, honestly. It's like, I mean... It really is. Yeah, yeah and yeah. aside from it being a really windy day and the big trees swaying above my head kind of freaked me out a little bit, um, we made it to the top. So that was our first bushwhack. Um, we found Super the fire cool. warden's path to come down it. Yeah, yeah. It's very... Like, was this in the winter or was this in re- regular yeah. three seasons? It was winter. It was in, winter. It was, it was in uh, late December, early January. And then... So he was, as he was working on his winter list, he just, I did winter owl's head, uh, my first winter hiking, winter 4,000 footers. So yeah, so I like that. I fell in love with it. Yeah. Wow. I just want to go back to um, one thing that you had talked about because, this, and this has nothing to do with hiking, but like I get this, every once in a while, like people at work will get married and they'll, you know, 
everybody, we have this like thing where we'll talk about like, okay, what's the advice that you want to give somebody for like a good marriage or like, you know, life advice. And I always say, and I, actually me and my wife, like we were able to find Ken as our handyman. And I mean, this guy does like electrical and plumbing and he does carpentry and he does windows. And I'm like, and what I tell people is that if you can find a good handyman that has the ability to do like a bunch of different things, like that is one of the keys to a successful marriage. It's a key to a good life because you build that relationship. Like it's just, it saves you so many headaches. If you have that person that you can call when, you know, the furnace goes out and you know that they can, they can tweak it or, you know, you got to get a window or a door put in. So I don't know if you found that with Dave or not. Certainly you, you got a lot of hiking experience, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh I mean my husband's pretty handy. He, he does a lot yeah. he does a lot of our electrical, but some of the the construction type stuff that Dave can do. Um, you know, we have a new kitchen. We have a couple of things that Dave's Of course, I help him out with a lot of stuff cuz I'm pretty handy. Not as handy as Dave, but um yeah. I, I like that's, the painting and That's I what mean, I end up. That's what I do. Ken's like I don't paint and I'm like I got it. I got it. <laughs> so. Absolutely. All right. Well, so then you complete your 4,000 footer. Like, did you feel like it, did you feel empty afterwards or did you feel like, all right, there's more here. I'm going to do additional lists or I've got like plans to do other things or what, what was your thought around? Like once you finished it up, I had already found the 52 with a view as I was kind of finishing up the um, 4,000 footer list. I did have a little bit of a letdown on that, on that backpacking trip. Cause it's like, wow, okay, that list is done. But I jumped right into the 52 with a view finished that like a year later. And then I was poking around. He, I think David already found the, the, the highest hundred list and I joined him on some of those hikes. And then I discovered there were 500. I'm like, all right, well, I could work on this list for a long time, which is yep. exactly what I wanted. It's got great ideas for hikes, lots of obscure stuff. Um, and I'm not in as big of a rush to finish this one. <laughs> it's going to take a while, but it, I, I don't, I have plenty to choose from. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And then, do you, are you, you no hesitation about going out on your own solo hiking? Not at all. I um, I, I started the solo thing slowly. Like I didn't just go out and do a four thousand footer by myself. Like I think my first solo hike was Willard because it's pretty safe. And um, I started small, and then I think right after Dave and I did Canon with a couple other friends, I decided to do the Osceolas by myself and nice. the Hancocks, and I. I live to tell, you know, live to tell the tale. So I'm like, all right, I can do this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm a very prepared person. I was a Girl Scout. I was a Cub Scout leader. Like I get the being prepared part. So I remember a hike I I did, I was doing Kerrigan and a friend of mine's like, I don't know if I feel comfortable you hiking by yourself. So I emptied my pack out and I showed her everything I had in the pack. She's like, okay, I feel much better. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think of that too. Like this weekend, you know, I carried more than I should have, but I was also like, all right, if something goes down, then you know, I can wait it out for a little while. So it is, it is tough. But um, as far as like your access to information, so you got Dave as a sounding board. It sounds like he was a little bit ahead of you as far as like his experience hiking. Did you over time like are you a researcher online or do oh. you just rely? You do, yeah, absolutely. Lots of research. Um, you know, different the different sites like finding out what other people have hiked. What you know, especially in the winter, what's been broken out. Um, you know, the different. I like the the. There's a Facebook page for um, 
the 100 to 500 highest. There's some good information on there. Um, and yeah, so I do a lot of research, look at the weather, like all those kinds of things. I'm constantly going down rabbit holes of ideas for hikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do the same thing. Um, and then as far as like favorites, if you could sort of identify, you know, it does it could be any anywhere, but do you have any favorite areas of the whites that you like to go to? Any favorite mountains, any favorite um, routes that you or routes that you've taken that you want to highlight to the listeners? Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I hate it when people ask me this question because I there's something about every hike that I enjoy, so it's kind of hard to say, oh, this mountain's my favorite. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was looking at that, the lists and saying, like, you know, with the 52 at the views, I think the bald faces and the moats are my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy that those areas. I love that bald face um, Royce's, like that side of the state's kind of neat. I don't get there as often, um, but I really like that area. Um, I think as far, I, I really enjoyed my hike up Jefferson, um, cause I did it Caps Ridge and I did it solo before the road was open. Like I had to walk in the road. It was that, that one year where like it was, they kept saying it was going to open. It was one of the last roads to open. I don't know why. And I'm like, yeah. it's me. It, I can hike this. And it was an awesome hike. Um, and I really enjoyed when Dave and I hiked Dartmouth because we had no idea we were going to get a view. I, I guess it wasn't Dartmouth itself. It was our approach to Dartmouth. What's the peak, Dave, that we... Is it Millen? No, Millen Hill? Yeah, yeah. Millen, 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 Millen Hill. Yeah. yeah. Like, you poke out and you can see the presidentials. It's so cool. Like, we had no idea. And it's it, that those little happy surprises sometimes on the bushwhacks where you get a view and you're not expecting it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's awesome. Or awesome. Do you, uh, as far as the gear that you use, um, do you, can you talk about like, what is your, what's your backpack? What do you tend to use for like uh, trail runners or boots and anything you, you want to give advice as far as the listeners? I have a couple Ospreys depending on the, you know, the, the time of year. I have, um, the 50 for the winter <laughs> yeah, and then the, uh, I don't know, like 28, 32, something like that for the summer. I'm not an ultralight pack person cause I like the frames of the osprey have um i discovered trail runners and love them to death and will wear them as long as my feet don't get too cold so like all summer um and then as soon as it starts to get cold i have to wear regular hikers but um because i have raynaud so i I struggle with the the fingers and the toes and um the winter boots are the the keen rebels i think the 40 below boat boots um, I learned something very important. Um, I had a, a pair for two years that were a little tight, and I really st- struggled with cold toes. For I finally decided just to buy the next size up, and I have had no problems. Right. I tell people this all the time. I'm like, don't double up on socks. Like, circulation yep. is the key. Yeah. It's, and you know, loose is better. Yeah. It's been a game changer this winter. I suffered for two years of those boots. <laughs> what do you do with Reynolds with your hands? What do you do to manage that? Like, do you have any, have you been able to like, do you just deal with it or do you have like tricks to actually keep your hands warm? It's, it's a process. I have, um, I usually have hand warmers. I have glove liners and then I have an over glove and it's a process of like, I have to constantly pull my hands out when I'm especially going uphill to keep them from sweating too much, but then I have to tuck them in as soon as they're cold. But the hand warmers in there help a lot. And for the most part, I can, 
I can manage it. It's just a lot of gloves on, gloves off, gloves on, gloves off. I can never have my gloves off for too long in the winter. Um, uh, <laughs> so, 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 guys, it's safe to say if we're in a cannibalistic situation, we're not starting with Liz's fingers. <laughs> we're going back to this. Well, unless you want charcuterie. Oh. It could be like a cold platter, you know, drink some cheese and do the cold cuts. <laughs> that's true. Yes, it's true. That's not a bad idea. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Liz. So um, when you hike with Dave, and I've got this problem with a lot of my friends, like I'm the pitcher taker. Like I end up taking like 100 pitchers and they'll take like five pitchers. Are you the pitcher taker or is Dave the pitcher taker? Uh, we both take a lot of pictures. He takes okay. more than me. Okay. Which is really funny. So my, I, in my former life, I was an art teacher, and my focus was photography. Yeah, I see and, the photos in the background there. Yeah, and so for him to like for anybody to take more pictures than me is a huge deal. Like, uh, yeah, because <laughs> we don't talk about that enough. Like, it is important. Like, if you're going to have like, and people like connect with you know through hiking buddies or whatever, they connect with these hiking partners. Like, you really need to keep an eye out for like the volume of picture taking that goes on. There's uh, a lot. It's important because. I want people to take pictures of me so I have like I can, they can send me pictures. So but it sounds like you guys have that 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 covered. Um, any plans for like do you get out of New England? Are you going to hike anywhere else outside of the area or are you mostly just focused on New Hampshire? Do you go to Vermont, Maine, anything like that? Um, you know, obviously mostly New Hampshire. My my parents for a long time lived in Colorado, so though I never did a 14er, I did a lot of hiking in like um the front range kind of where they lived. Um, mm-hmm. I am going to Utah in April with a friend of mine. Um, she, she lives in Florida, so she doesn't get out much to hike, but she does enjoy it. So we're going to yeah. go to Utah for a week and do some hiking in Utah, which I've never done before. It's one of the few States I haven't been to. Um, I do get, I've done some hiking in Vermont. Um, I'm planning for a couple of days on the long trail in late May, early June with a friend of mine. Um, I think I'm also going to be going to Maine, maybe. Like, we've been talking about possibly going for a couple days in Maine. So, yeah, I pounce around. And are you, um, so do you, are you mostly a weekend hiker or do you have luxury to sort of hike midweek or how, how does that work? I stay away from the weekends as much as I can. I like oh. midweek hiking. It's just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you, uh, I mean, you don't have to disclose this, but like, what do you do for work that allows you to do midweek hiking? Uh, I call myself a uh, retired stay-at-home mom. Both okay. my youngest just went to um, college. So I have a freshman and senior in college right now. So I'm, okay. I, I worked as a teacher then part-time and then, you know, basically stayed home with them. So I, I do this and I, I've gotten into volunteering thanks to you guys. Okay. Uh, I, I adopted a trail after listening to you guys. And I also got involved with um, NESA, New England Healing Sports Association. So I volunteer with adaptive skiing. Excellent. So you're keeping busy. That's great. Thank you. Yes. So Awesome. All right. Well, the last question I have for you, and then we'll move on to Dave here, is um, have you had any issues as far as safety goes? And then do you have any thoughts or advice? I mean, obviously you listen to this podcast and we talk about hikers getting in trouble and some of the basic things that you can do to mitigate those situations. Do you have any thoughts or comments or advice for people around safety when it comes to hiking? Yeah, I've never really been in a situation where I've 
you know, worried for my safety or needed thought about maybe I'd have to call search and rescue or limp out on my own. I haven't had any of those issues. I stress, you know, being overly prepared. Uh, I carry probably more than I need to, you know, the two headlamps. And um, every time I hike, I feel like I'm adding something else to my pack because I realize, oh, that would be really good in case I need it. Um, and I, this, this other hiking friend of mine, uh, Izzy, she's a college student that, um, I've kind of watched grow up and, and I dragged her out hiking because she started the, the, the 4,000 footers with me and she was 18 at the time. And I've taught, like worked her through learning, you know, what more she needs to bring with her. Cause she used to bring her snacks and her water and, uh, <laughs> Oh. And then rely on you for everything. Else, right? Exactly. So, yeah. and then she's gotten into she's she's trained in wilderness first aid. She's a you know outdoor leader at her school. Like she's really gotten into it. So it's been fun to like kind of pass the information on to somebody. Yeah. And you do you think your kids will ever get into it like you are? Uh, my youngest, absolutely. Like he's big okay. into skiing. He's into hiking. He wants to join me for a backpacking trip this summer. Um, so I'm, you know, kind of now passing that on to him as well, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that way. Like I got, I got three and one of them it hit the yeah. other ones are like, no, but uh, who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll change their perspective as they get older. So yes, he, he really likes anything on the, uh, terrifying 25 list. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's his jam for sure. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. So you get the young guys with the adrenaline, right? Yep. All right, Stomp, anything else for Liz before we talk to Dave? No, no, I'll ask a couple questions at the end. Okay, sounds good. So Dave, um, we learned a little bit about you. So you, the way you became, obviously like your your username on Instagram is Dave Shits in the Woods, and uh, that sort of obviously stands out because it's pretty unique, but I feel like more and more of my friends or people that I've seen have these verb-based Usernames on Instagram. So I don't know, did you, were you the one that invented this or did you just hop on the trend early? Uh, it's all it's me. It's all you. I, uh, I create it. And actually, it's, if you have the pause in the wrong spot, I'm actually a singer songwriter. Okay. It's Dave's hits in the woods. <laughs> um, oh. So it's kind of awkward. I didn't want to correct it, you know, but it's, You could have told us that like, like a year ago. So I know, but I'm not a notable hiker and. <laughs> You know, you had to suffer a little uh, too. So I'm going con- to <laughs> continue to say Dave shits in the woods. But anyway, so my friend Steve. No, it is a dietary <laughs> issue. It is a uh, spastic colon issue. It is. It is an earned title. Unfortunately, it is an action. Yep. Um, if people want to follow suit, yeah, that, that you know. Yeah. They could probably come up with better action names than yeah, that. It's but a, it's not. You know. It's a good trend. And that, matter of fact, that my friend Steve, who. Um, he has an Instagram page that the theme is essentially like he'll take various food. He took like snowballs, you know, those pink um, hostess oh, yeah. things. They're, they're disgusting. But he took one of the and he'll take a bite out of the food and then take a picture of like the the food with the with the landscape background or whatever. So he was originally so Steve something or other, but he changed his name to um, Steve Eats Shit. Like meaning, like oh, I'll just eat shit. Oh, so, well, I, in response to you, I can give my trail reports if he wants. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, but um, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background? So, here's a couple of things we've already learned. So, we know that you're a handyman. We know that you started hiking. It sounds like a little bit before Liz, and apparently you're a priest. So, can you work? Or you were a former priest? Okay. One of those is true. 
Yeah, uh, one of those is false, I should say. It's like that game, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, two truths and a lie. Yeah. The, the priest is a policy. I mean, you know, the PTO is true. Yeah. But he has, he has hiked as Jesus. I, yes, we did a Halloween hike up Mount Israel, um, and I, okay, I was dressed as Jesus. And there were people crowding the summit, and I tried to ask them to part and then criticize them for not really singing in church <laughs> and that my father was watching them. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of discomfort. It was a lot yeah. of fun. <laughs> do, do you find when you – so I get this – like I feel like I, I creep people out. Like I'll have conversations with people on summits, and I feel like I give off creepy vibes. So I don't always yes. get a good reaction, but do you tend to get a good reaction when you talk to strangers on the summit? It depends on the situation. There is, there was, we were on um, one of the hikes that's, I forget what it was. They asked me to take the picture. And, White face or possibly. Yeah. And it was, we, you know, it's launched the whole like, wow, that's really, you know, good for you to handing your camera to somebody with ankle monitors. And everybody's face just froze and <laughs> looked down and then back up and kind of half laughed. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Awesome. I mean, generally, yes. And when they do get uncomfortable, I just tell them, hey, I have a podcast. My name's Mike. You guys should check it out. It's, it's really good. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you t- so can you talk about uh, – so we didn't get to introduce you yet, but we'll get to that, I guess. But like, when did you discover the podcast? And um, can you talk about like um, sort of your impressions? I'm kind of curious because you've been like a listener for a long time. Yeah. Um, it was actually when we were doing The Watcher. Liz and I had gone up The Watcher, and we were trying to do a loop. We usually do that around Columbus Day or whatever. They go up that way. And she was telling me about this podcast with these two guys and they're down to earth and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, yep, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. And then it was like, kept coming up. I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to it eventually. And then I listened and I was like, I should have listened longer. And I started listening. And it was like the third or fourth episode when you had Chaga on and all these clues started clicking. I'm like, I know him. (laughs) I'm like from hockey. And I was like, wait a minute. So I pinged him. I'm like, you know so and so and he's like yeah man i'm like nice so it kind of came full circle and then i just started listening to more podcasts Uh and then i heard about the notable hikes we we won't dig at that scab right now but and it just it just each episode progressed and i I liked (laughs) what i really like and still enjoy about the show is the diversity that like you're not only getting the message out but you're you're encouraging people to do different things and i think that's fantastic um because the white mountains are just huge and beyond the whites the state of new hampshire vermont maine there's so many things to do and see yeah and i think that's why stomp like pushed to like let's let's get dave and liz on because i think that's like one of the things that i tend to be more of like the traditional like the four thousand foot is 52 with a view but stomp keeps it honest and you guys also as well like you're getting out into the little corners of of the whites which is awesome so we're uh, we're glad to have you here, but why don't you like it? Let's so you know Jimmy Chaga, so that's that's interesting. But what can? Yeah, I lost a few points there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Sir James Chaga the Third, as he likes to be called. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great guy. Great guy. Matter of fact, he's like he's responsible for building. Yeah, he's put me out of business. Right? I mean, I can't um, get work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice guy. He's great. But um, so give us a little bit of your background. How did you get into hiking, outdoor stuff, and, you know, start from when you were a little kid? Yeah, okay. Well, it started when I was two. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, my dad was kind of outdoors. We used to go fishing out in the back. We had a quarry near us, and we you kind of – it was a trail, but it was more of a bushwhack. you go out, we'd fish. It was un 
untouched territory. You'd catch monster fish, but it was more of the walk and the time spent with them. And uh, I was, uh, he's still with us. I don't want to make it sound like a sad story. He's still with us, which is awesome. And he's still super active. He uh, geocaches all that. He was actually having a heart attack when he was geocaching. So a whole other story. He's still great. It's fantastic. Um, but we used to do a lot of that. And we camped out in Western New Hampshire. And every year we would go do Mount Monadnock. And we did it because we were bribed with Pizza Hut afterwards in Keene. So we'd like pile in the van, go to Pizza Hut with the old, oh Smart. yeah, the red cups, the old school Pizza Huts, you know, and you'd, you'd sit and look at the mountain, you just hiked and it was like, it was kind of cool. You just did that. And we did that for years. Um, then you get to the teenage years and I didn't want to do anything and then got a job uh, in corporate America. I was an accountant for 10 years, so I just drank and got fat um, and I was killing that for a while. Uh, moved away from that, got active again, got back on the ice, started trying to run, but I can't because I'm built like plywood. I, I don't run. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of found different things to do. And by chance, my wife and I went to one of her friend's weddings and I started talking to the groom and he was a big hiker, younger than me. And he said, he can't ever get anybody to go hiking. They all say they want to, they never do. And I said, well, I'd love to go. I, you know, I do some hiking and Sure enough, we went, we did uh, Cardigan. We went down to Firescrew and we found the grotto. We was like, this is really cool. And we just connected. We started hiking a ton. Um, and that's kind of when I really got into it. My wife had bought me the White Mountain Guide. And I was like, all right, cool. There's bigger mountains in there. I should check that out. And I started doing a bunch of hiking with Josh. He kind of taught me a lot about everything. Um, you know, uh, name it, trails starting fires, camping, dehydration, hypothermia, firsthand, all that stuff. Like, you know, when people say experience, they don't, uh, they always think it's like, oh, knowledge. Like sometimes it's really shitty experience that kind of shapes you. And that's how you learn. That's how you get better. Nobody wins at hiking. You don't become a great hiker. Uh, you learn. Um, he, he was awesome about that. Um, and I just kind of took it from there and got into the 4,000s. Um, Josh, we finished the 4,000s and then it was later in 2000 something, I think it was, um, he, he came down with uh, relationship itis and then unfortunately we lost him to marriage in uh, a couple years ago. Yeah. So I don't hike with him as much. It happens. It, happens. it does. It does. Yeah. I actually got to officiate the wedding, which was fantastic. Uh, they get married on Willard. So I got to do the ceremony up there and that, really? which is really cool. The whole group went out and we did the ceremony and that. And is that logistically like it's a pretty straightforward? I mean, yep. well, it's a small hike and the, everyone's a hiker. So, but it was, was there anybody in either one of the families that was kind of like, oh man, I can't make it up here? Or was it, it, it no no problem there? No, it worked out great. Everybody was, um, they had, she has older kids uh, and the, everybody went kind of half dressed up, not necessarily. They, they put the dresses on at the top, went in the yep. woods, came back out. Um, did the ceremony. And so he is a priest. But I, I, will, I will see. Yeah. I, I guess technically it see? goes full circle. I guess that day I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You should connect with Mike Cherum and uh, just back him up in case he, if he ever had to pull out of a way. There you go. I can go flying in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I, after, you know, Josh didn't hike as much. I kind of just, I did a lot of solo stuff and I was just, you know, plugging away at the list, the 4,000s and then the winter. And then like I said, we crossed paths with Liz and doing work and then talking about hiking. And I was like, okay. And of course, you know, you're kind of guarded like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's, uh, 
let's let's go up this mountain and see how you do without saying let's see how you do and then okay let's see how you do in these conditions because um, you don't want somebody out there that you know is going to get you killed and eat you so you know <laughs> you got to be very selective so anyhow it all came together and then i hiked a bunch with with liz and i still do a lot of solo stuff um i you just keep keep at it keep active um with the list that you pursue so you got the 500 yep. you got the 100 you got the 67 you got all these do you um do you I've I've found that like obviously with the winter four thousand foot as I plan them out a little farther ahead of time, but like when it comes to just regular hiking, I almost just pick like a couple days before. I have a general idea in my head, but how fluid is it when you pick your hikes? Are you pretty pretty much locked in, or do you just pick like the night before? I'm a planner. Anyone will tell you that I'm a planner, but I'm also like go back a little further is I got a book a while back called shrouded memories. I don't know if you've heard of it. It has a lot of different history yeah. stories of the whites and that fascinates me. So not just the peak, but what happened in that area. It has stories about the person that was shot near the cog railway. Um, and there's a gun still out in the woods there. Um, it talks about there was a murder and the last person hung. It talks about the willies and then they're learning that the willies aren't actually buried where the willie house is. And it became a game of, well, where are they really buried? And it took a ton of research. So when I pick a mountain, for example, if I pick a highest hundred, a lot of those are like, that's the deal. You're going up the highest hundred because the option of bouncing off to another peak is pretty limited because they're usually pretty brutal. Um, not to scare anybody, they just, they just tend to be, not all of them, but some of them are just, that's your day. Some of the other ones, the 52s, you start to, I use an app, which is a phenomenal app called Wilder, Wilder List. It allows you to track all your hikes. You can import and export spreadsheets. Um, but what's really cool is you can, when you kind of, it'll track all your lists too. But when you span out, it'll show all the mountains in the area. And then some of the other ones will show like different things. Like when I was hiking East Pond, it talked about this this uh, mining company that used to be there. And they used uh, the diatomaceous earth and they scraped East Pond and they used to mine. And I'm like, this is, there's an actual mine, you know, a building out here. So it would snowball into like, okay, if I want to hit that, I can go find that and I can hit that peak. So it's not as planned as a 48 where you don't necessarily plan a route. You plan a route with other things to see along the way, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, no, that makes sense. And I think the history piece of it obviously resonates. Me and Stomp are always talking about um the history piece and like i i've been into like you know going into the pemi and trying to find some of these old logging roads and things like that and stomps obviously been over to livermore and um you know there's there's always cool history to be found in in the white so i definitely get that um do you have like is there any sort of historical like events in the whites that i mean you know i'm you i know you mentioned a couple of them but is there any like history events that really stand out that you you obsess on I wouldn't say obsessed. I'm just fascinated to go, like, there's a couple of mines. There's an old lead mine um, that I kind of, you come off a mountain, I kind of found my way up the top of it, and then perhaps legally or illegally found a way into it, which was really cool and exciting and different. Um, some of the plane crashes, like Waternami, if, you have, if you've ever been up there, it's just moving to be up there to know what happened when the bomber hit and how the town rallied and the history of, of the pilot and how he, the secondary story of how it's amazing. He's still alive. Um, stuff like that is really cool. The pond of solitude. Is it? Um, yeah. Uh, not the pond of solitude. The, um, the pond where the pond of safety, 
yeah. like the whole story there. It, it's just cool to be where they've been. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We slid up to there in the winter. That's a great spot. Yeah, see, I'd like to do that. Like, that's it, to me, it fascinates me. It's more than you know. I love the peaks. I love the views. I love the sunrises. I love the sunsets. Um, but part of the, the other, there's more to uh, this obscure things. There's caves. There's plains. There's so many different things to stumble across. Yeah, I always get excited about the early paths, like the Crawford Path, Davis Path. Like thinking about like when we would do, like we did the Langdon Traverse um, earlier, and I was thinking like the little, that little outlook where you can see out into the the presidentials, and like okay, was Dar- this this has got to be how Darby Field approached it, and like he probably saw this view and was able to sort of figure out what route he was going to take from there. So I always get like I'm always thinking in terms of like the early people that visited the whites and what they, you know, what it, what would it be like if, how they experience where the trails aren't marked and they've got to make their way through. Like to me, it just fascinates me how they were like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pick this ridge to build Davis path to go up and not turn. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm just going to go right on the ridge. Screw the next guy. The shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Who it, wants to switch back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. So, all right. So you, you plan things out pretty well. Do you, do you ever just say like, screw it. I just want to go and hike Mount Adams and Mount Ad- Madison in the summer. And you know, I don't care about the crowds. Yep. But I do care about the crowds. It's, it's added that. Yeah, I would. Oh, I would pick a time to go where they're not crowded. I tend to like be hermitish. I, I don't, you know, I prefer not to be in crowds. Um, I've had a lady yell at me in Mount Washington cause she was, you know, I would try to get around her and she kept speeding up and wouldn't let me go around and then yelled at me. And I was like, I don't understand. Oh my God. Oh, those are the worst situations. Yeah. I oh, could. Have, what a nightmare. I was like, I'm not fast. I, I am like, I'm five foot nothing. I'm not a fast hiker at all. And I'm like, just, you know, yeah. So pe- people aren't necessarily like, I'll, I'll, you know, not a crowd person. That's the beauty of bushwhacking is you can get out in the woods and, you do get that feeling of the explorers. You just, you don't know if anyone's ever been there before. Yeah. Yeah. It is fascinating. Now, um, some of the lists that you're doing, so you're getting close to finishing the 67 and the New Hampshire hundred highest. Do you, do you slow roll those finishes because you just want to keep going and do some other stuff or are you, are you like going after those to finish them soon? Uh, by default, I slow roll it mostly because the ones I have are way up Northern Maine. And they do have excursions up to uh, Katahdin, but, you know, it's a big, big bite to go up there, and it's a big plan. And um, and as far as the the last of the 100 highest I have, they, they, technically it's like 104. I don't know why they throw the bonus four in. Um, I have, Of the six, like I went to go after Wolf yesterday. Liz and I actually went out. We got to Blue Ridge. We had to break trail. And um, I was hitting what I call Lieutenant Dan snowdrifts, where it's like, you ain't got no legs. <laughs> Because you're like, oh, <laughs> you're up to your hips and you're just not moving. And I'm like, I, I'm going to break trail as much as I can. But we hit Blue Ridge and I'm like, that's it. Like, we can push to get to Wolf. We'll get there by four or five. We'll be back out by eight or nine. And it was like the whole graph of fun and satisfaction to exhaustion and enjoyment. It's like they're not crossing. It's time to go back. Um so yeah, the, the snow makes it really hard, the depth. Now, on that note, there's two people last year. It was Matt, I might say around, Janerone and Rebecca Schubert. They did the highest 100 single season oh, yeah. in a winter, which yeah. I, I don't, I can't even express how insane that is to me. Like, 
if you've done these in the summer or even with a little bit of snow to think about doing these hundred in a single season, it blows my mind. Yeah. I remember they did that. That is, that is crazy. The, um, it is interesting though. So like the one thing that is so critical about and it's a good thing, obviously when you gain experience, but like being able to do those math calculations and know like, okay, like I'm past my time where, you know, now I'm going to be faced with coming out of here with a headlamp and I don't want to be doing that. Or, um, you know, I just don't want to go past that. I don't want to be out there for 10 or 12 hours. I only want to be out for eight hours. Like just being able to calculate like, okay, how much time is it going to take me to go back the way I came? It's not the same as how much time it took you to get there sometimes. So that level of experience over time is is critical for safety. Um, and the only way you can really get that is through experience over time. And it's just hard to explain to someone that doesn't know the area how how you gain those skills. But I don't know, do you have any, any sort of thoughts around safety and, and how you manage things to make sure that you stay out of trouble? Yeah, uh, you know, controlled failures. I guess the way to say it, like when I first started with a hammock, I went in the backyard and did well. Then I tried a remote spot next to a campsite. And I got cold, so I slept in my truck until I realized I needed a quilt. And then you build up from there. Um, I've had longer hikes where I've known it could be potential for trouble and you just, you plan for certain things and the more you fail, the more you learn. Um, as long as your failure is controlled, I guess is the way to say it. And you're, you can get out on the other side of it. Okay. You will learn from it. Um, and the biggest question you have to ask yourself, you know, yeah, you can do all these things, but why, why do you need to go get that summit right now today? Why? What, okay. You accomplished and you get back, you're dead tired. You missed out on pizza. You can't have a beer. If you feel awesome, then do it. Then that's what drives you. Then, then go. Um, don't let other people's thoughts and, and concerns, you know, people will always try to measure themselves by your accomplishments. And when you try to measure yourself by their accomplishments, you're either going to be disappointed or encouraged you kind of have to throw all that out and just, if it is going to be a personal gain to you, do it. If you know you can do it and if you know you can push through it and you've had a series of failures that you've recovered safely and you know that you can go bigger, go bigger. Um, but also know when you're screwed. <laughs> you got to know when that wall's ahead of you. It's like you could, but on the other side, you don't come back. And you got to have the gear that's going to give you a little bit of time when things go south that 100%. you can hunker yes. down. So, yep. Um, which I mean, we talked about this with Liz. Liz, you know, you talked about how you you, know, you carry probably more than you need to. Are you are you of the same mindset, Dave? Uh, yeah, I'm the guy that's like out on like crotched mountain, and everyone's like, "Oh, did you sleep out here last week? You know, did you stay out last night?" I'm like, "No, like I just bring a lot of stuff because you know, like if you think of it in the term of cars." I'm like a 1970 Tercel with like 600,000 miles on it. So if something's going to go, it's going to be big. It's not like, oh, the windshield wiper heater doesn't work. It's going to be like, no, the transmission dropped out and this thing's not moving. That's going to be me in the woods. I'm screwed. Like my body's just at that age and that mileage that it's like, I got to be ready to sleep on the ground for a couple of days until they find me. Yeah. I was, matter of fact, I was thinking that exact same thing. Like we were, so we were going up, um, the Brutus bushwhacked last weekend and I don't have like the televators on my snowshoe. I have another, I have bought a new pair of snowshoes, but like I, I gotta, I gotta adjust. So I brought my old snowshoes and I don't have the televator. And I was thinking like at this really steep part of Brutus and I was like, 
this is like the scenario where my Achilles is going to like snap and I'm going to be seven and mile, you know, eight miles out. So it's like I had that in my mind and I was like, all right, I can't torque my ankle too badly. I want to want to protect it. But it's the same idea that you're talking about yep. is like you, something goes wrong. It's going to go wrong severely. And you got to make sure that you've got like, OK, enough gear that you can hunker down for 12, 18, 24 hours. Yep. And it's a process to me. It's like, you know, not to put it in terms of anything, but you hit a thing of discomfort. You know your discomfort. Part of hiking is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. As yeah. part of regular hiking, bushwhacking, through hiking, whatever you want, you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You learn to manage discomfort. When discomfort becomes pain, it has to get your attention. Pain you can mitigate. But then when pain becomes to a point, now you're pushing injury. Once you have injury, welcome to Scrooge'sville. You know, once you have that injury, depending where you are, it changes everything. So you have to kind of be where you aware of where you are on that scale in my head. You know, and, and it's not a constant like, how am I doing now? Is everything okay? Have I have enough fluids? You know, um, it's more of just you just know your body after a certain amount of time. You know what you're doing. You know where you are. Like, oh, this was like that time on X Mountain when all of a sudden I got the leg cramp and I had to tap out. And, or this is when I was hiking with so-and-so and they threw up because they were dehydrated. Like, they were smaller hikes, but you learn, I guess is the way yeah. to say it. Yeah, and the ba- the backpacking stuff that you've done over the years, so you had mentioned in the notes here that you've done the long trail. Have you done any other long through hikes? You did like Sunapee Greenway, I think, that you had mentioned too, but yep. can you talk about Yeah, this Sunapee is a great, great starting, I guess, if you want to call it that. It's not easy, you know, nothing really is, but it, it's an awesome beginner or experience. It's got plenty of places to tap out is the way I look at it. And if you're from the area, it's fairly local. Um, you can get you can get out pretty easily, get rides. But it's a great experience. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. The long trail is amazing. It's, you spend the first section with the AT hikers, and then you kind of get thrown into the woods of Vermont. And if you like mud, it's the best place in the world. Yeah, I hear that. Um, what about like outside of New England? Like, so I noticed Liz didn't invite you to Utah, but um, any um, <laughs> any plans to go outside there? It, it, well, I think it's a notable hikers hike, and only they're allowed to go. So, oh yeah, that's true. I am blacklisted. Sorry, I yeah, <laughs> I'm not on that list yet. So, yeah, um, I'll invite you to my next big trip. So, yeah. uh, do you well, go? Do you ever get out of New England at all, or do anything? Not particularly. I mean, we do, we do, we do family trips and that. Like Mrs. Shits is not a hiker, um, yeah. so we'll do. We we actually when we were younger we used to spend a lot of time in the whites doing the base and doing doing the you know the the white stuff up mm-hmm. in the national parks and all that and we've been to the Grand Canyon and things like that Yellowstone and uh, we didn't we didn't see anybody doing what he was doing there in the Yellowstone <laughs> actually we saw a lot of morons but that's a different story too yeah um, so yeah we, we not necessarily pure hiking but just kind of getting out not so much beyond the New England area. Yeah, and I don't want you to give away any of your secrets, but like abandoned trails, like I've been talking, like the one that I have, like my, I guess my white wheel that I need to get up on. Matter of fact, we were talking about this this weekend, but I do eventually want to get up the old Adam Slide trail eventually. But have you, um, is there any abandoned slides that you want to talk about or share with the audience that that really gets you, um, or that you, that you would recommend people check out? Uh, since I've done it, I probably won't be back for a while. I'll talk about on the backside of the bald faces. Uh, okay. When you go up, uh, I think it's the, what's the really steep one? The south and north. I always get it backwards. 
Yeah, that's um, south. south. Yeah, yeah. If you come off, like I did a, a trip up over Eagle Crag and then north to south. If you go over the back of South, there was a trail that connects out there to. Um, there's two trails out there. It's like the Rainbow Trail or something. It used to be called. I think it might have been called that. I can't remember the exact name of it. It goes down. It's a steep drop, and then it goes in this incredible birch glade near this like moose heaven. And it was one of the coolest places that I kind of camped out for a night. And then I pushed on and did the two, there was two peaks in between and then came out over by Eastman and hit Eastman and that, and that there's a trail. If you can pick it up, it's pretty cool. Um, you can't always tell that you're still on it, but every now and then you'll catch glimpses of like, it's so clear where it used to be. Um, yeah, it looks like so. You say basically, you're saying hit South Baldface, yep. and then there's like there's Sable Mountain, Chandler Mountain, Chandler and Sable, correct? Yep. Got so it. if you drop right, back, so if you go right off the back side of that, it dips down, and you, there's an old trail. If you can pick up the old maps from it's either the 30s or 40s, and you can follow the contours, it takes you right up through Chandler and Sable. Yeah, because I'm looking at like on the on the map here. St- I'll stomp. Now we got our wheel spinning here. So like South Baldface, <laughs> you drop down. Like it's a pretty flat. Like it basically goes down about 500 feet, and yep. then pretty quick you just take that shoulder of Sable Mountain, and it seems like it's totally doable. And when you look down off of South Baldface, like you can look down into that forest, and it is like it's pretty open. You can almost see old cairns coming off the downside of South Baldface. If you, really? As you're going down, you pick them up in the woods, what looks like it to me. And then when you get out into the glades, um, nothing, I haven't picked up any blazes on any of these yet. But when you pick it up, you can almost see where you go through the woods, how how the topography and you follow the lines. It's like you're 100% on a trail. And then, you know, a half mile later, you're like, where the hell am I? <laughs> you know, like where to go? Yeah. And you can see, like, when you come, I mean, Chandler looks a little bit more steep, but, like, you can see coming off of Chandler to reconnect back up to Eastman, like, that you can totally see how that, like, uh, basically that drainage of 2,400 feet just, it just is a straight walk right up there. It runs. The problem with the drainage, you got to be careful because it does drain into a bog. So okay. you got to kind of ride higher elevation. But, yeah, you you can make a giant loop by going up and over Eagle, Eagle Crag, is it there? And, uh yeah. Doing the two bald faces, dropping in the back, camping for a night, then hitting Chandler Sable, going across the brook. And the other thing, too, is if you could pick up old fire roads and get your yep. cross for bridged crossings, then you, you can hit Eastman and go right up and make a giant loop. Oh, stomp. This sounds tantalizing. <laughs> it's a great trip. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. That's better than I even expected yeah. from you, Dave. <laughs> That's the only one I'm sharing, though. I'm not sharing the really good ones. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that's a really good one, so I'm impressed. But I don't know, Stomp, what did I miss? Anything you want to talk to Liz and Dave about? Well, I think I want to backtrack with the listeners just for a second about the 500 highest. Uh, people may not be super familiar with these, but um, it's based on the 200-foot prominence rule. Uh, so any summit or peak or hill that has a 200-foot rise in elevation counts on the list. Um, the New Hampshire highest 500 list is one list. There is another one called the Lists of John, which is similar. Um so I've been doing this for a little while. I think I'm at like 138 um, on the New Hampshire 100 highest list, but on the list of John, I think I'm a little lower because it, it, there's some weird calculation difference there. But uh, So just so you have a little background on what that is. Uh, Liz, what number uh, are you at on the 500? Um, 191. 
Nice. And Dave, how about you? 172. Nice. Excellent. So we're sort of in the same ballpark. Uh, That's fantastic. Um, Cool. I was curious, do you two have any awareness of or interest in in doing the uh, Bushwhack the 48? That's a hell of a challenge. I I actually ran into somebody um, this spring. spring I was doing my... uh, trail work and I ran into a hiker who said that he was working on bushwhacking all 4,000 footers and I was I had no idea that was a thing (laughs) that is a thing that is a tough thing there's very few people that have done it I'm fascinated by it I mean me personally I've done I think I've maybe done one and that would be uh, Liberty with Jimmy Chaga and um, I mean just to clarify what that means I mean bushwhacking is supposed to be just walking through the woods without a path. I mean, there can't be a path. If it's a herd path, sort of like uh, Brutus, I would think is probably not a traditional bushwhack. It's probably a bino, a bushwhack in name only. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, there's this, a distinction there. There were a lot of, like Vo's Spur, for instance, is probably not so much a bushwhack anymore because there's such a clear path to the top. Um, so anyway... Um, yeah, so anyway, that, that's something I was thinking about. Like, man, we don't talk about the, the bushwhack in the 48. I've probably seen two people tackling that list in my uh, brief career hiking here. That That's a big, big ask. I mean, that, that to me is, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. You know, oh, yeah. there's like, I love oh, yeah. adventure. And then there's that line where it's like, <laughs> nope, <laughs> good right where I'm at. Well, that's what's sort of neat about the highest 500, because literally you could, you could, climb something that's literally 201 feet and you've got it and there's always something special about the 500 i've found like no matter which one it is there's always something that makes it a really special unique adventure uh so yeah i just hand it to you and liz i'm super super jealous that you got mount kangamangas from the livermore side um because that was a great hike. that was um a great approach too like doing it from Okay, yeah. Can you tell me about it just briefly? Because I'm, I'm, I wanted to do it, and you beat me to it. I'm like, God damn it! Yeah, it, it really, <laughs> it didn't even seem that hard because you beat, from the height of land at the Livermore Trail. You, there's, You're there's right, steep, right. The first part's really steep, but then it's open woods, and it's not that bad at all. I, it's, yeah, Dave shaking his head. He did yeah. not do it that way. He went in from the cank. No, had I can the cank. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Oh, it was not welcoming. Oh. Yeah, no, we've all seen that no. from the cake. That side, that side is brutal. Yeah, no, my line was really good. It huh. was, a, it was a great bushwhack. That's great. No, I really uh, admire you two for tackling it. That's awesome. Is there is there any view on Mount Kankamangus? No, nope. no. If <laughs> you like pine trees, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. There's no not a lot of views in a lot of these hikes, so. But that's the payoff. There's also no trail runners. True. There's nobody bitching about post holes. Um, there's no clouds. <laughs> you know, there's a yeah, lot of pluses yeah. to it. And when you do get a view, it's usually pretty epic. It's usually like framed it. in the trees. Yeah. It's usually pretty cool. Um, you get a better chance of seeing moose. You get a better chance of wildlife. I mean, it's just, it's different. Yeah, have you ever stumbled on like moose or beer or anything like scary when it comes to animals? Uh yes. 
<laughs> um, a couple of moose. We startled a moose um, going up to the, what is it, the true summit of the 52 there. August. I stink at names. August. What is it? Pogus, right? Yeah, the true summit of Pogus is actually a bushwhack. Um, and on the other side of the blowdown, there was a small a young moose that jumped up. And I followed it. And it was like the whole scene at Jurassic Park where it's like I was right on it, right on it. Like even its crap was still shiny. I was right behind it and I could not catch up to it again. And then it's that moment of like, is it hunting me? Clever girl. Like, I just couldn't catch up with it again. And I've had bears on the Sunnaby Greenway. Um, they actually kind of eyeballed the bear bag and stuff. Um, mm. the, the scariest thing about bushwhacking to me is finding something you shouldn't find. Like some kind of cocaine operation out in the woods. We oh, found an yeah. abandoned campsite once. Um, Dude, we've like, talked about that. Oh, that it's, is probably the creepiest yeah. thing when you're like, what the? Why is this out here? And you're like, absolutely. I'm dead. <laughs> like, I shouldn't have found this. Yeah. Right, right. That's, that is the one negative. Yeah, I think I think about Ugh. that. Like the um, like every once in a while, you'll get like these this person that like like that girl in Utah that got kidnapped, and they brought her out to like a camp and like kept her there for like six months. Imagine just accidentally stumbling on that. Like, oh my god! No, I say that'd be my luck. I'd be like, uh, all right, yeah, I just. Uh well, Sorry. me and Stomp have talked about this. Like, if you're in that scenario, and Liz, you can chime in too. Like, do you just go into like, um, um. You know, like uh, commando mode, and take everything over. or Do you just run away and scurry off? Uh, I would run away if I found someone kidnapped. <laughs> you running away, Liz? <laughs> <laughs> I think if I found a kidnap situation, I just hit the old in reach button. Okay, all right, that's good. And then just do the like yeah. pretend like I'm talking into yes. it and be like, you know, this, you know, Green Beret, Dave sits in the woods here, found it. <laughs> Vicky, you know, isolated. Hope send in paratroopers. Yeah, hope the bad yeah, guy all runs the, away. Whole platoon's coming behind yeah. me. Shit's about to go down. You better just get down on the ground now. <laughs> hope that they bu- they buy it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just bark, bark bigger than you are. And <laughs> all right, well, you guys, we've learned a lot. I think uh, that tip on po- the bald face is great. I think um, Liz, you putting up with uh, with Dave through all this, uh, I'm impressed. <laughs> And I also know yeah. that now we will never ever give him the notable like <laughs> award. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Keep submitting, it. but you will be Susan Lucci forever. I'm scrolling podcasts right now to see what else is out here. All right. Well, good luck if they'll invite you on as a guest. <laughs> You're right. I can change my name. Yeah. All right, stop. So uh, let's let's call it a. Um, a night, and then again, you know, we do want to um, just make sure that our, th- you know, thoughts and uh, condolences are with the family of uh, Christopher Roma. Um, certainly, um, it's a reminder that you know these and yeah, and friends and friends for sure. It's yep. it's hit hit everybody. Unbelievable. So rest in peace, Chris. 